866-229-3663 or visit the web at thepowerherbs.com. I'm your resident herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. We're here to empower you. That's what we like to do here on Herb Talk. Thanks for joining us on the American Voice Radio Network. Magical engineer Frank and I got a great show. Uh, We're going to look into what's going on in the European Union with the supplement market because it could affect the U.S. market. Also, we're going to be talking about... uh, some uh, hidden fruit. We're going to talk about apples because we got apple season here on the way and the benefits of that. And also, um, maybe we'll talk about some tonics, right? You ever have one? Well, if you haven't, you might want to check them out because they're really great. And we're going to talk about the benefits of tonics. And uh, we have a quack report. But before we get into all that great stuff, big salute and semper fighter, righteous men and women in uniform, always lifting them up in prayer, as well as all of America. And I'm uh, hitting the knees and seeking the Lord's face and minding the time because it grows short. And I did bring my devotional here. And um, let me flip to the page that I was going to read to you because I seem to have lost my spot. Okay. See, this has just been... Okay, here we go. I found it. I found it. Okay, so this devotional, if you haven't got one, it's kind of neat. I got one for Mother's Day for my grown children, and you can find this, I think, at Barnes & Noble. But it kind of is a synopsis of, you know, some of the uh, paragraphs. And um, this is a synopsis from Psalms 32, Genesis 3, and John 8. And it goes like this. In closeness to me, you are safe. In the intimacy of my presence, you are energized. No matter where you are in the world, you know you belong When you sense my nearness, ever since the fall, man has experienced a gaping emptiness that only my presence can fill. I designed you for close communication with your creator. How I enjoy walking in the garden. uh, I enjoyed walking in the garden with Adam and Eve before the evil one deceived them. And when you communicate with me in the garden of your heart, both you and I are blessed. And this is my way of living in the world through you. Together, we will push back the darkness, for I am the light of the world. So I hope that energizes you and you get to getting and seeking the Lord's face, find salvation through Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the way. And without further ado, let's do the quack report. Thanks, Frank. Okay, first up in the quacker seems to be a cancer breakthrough. Uh, Scientists um, say they have uh, discovered the smoke detector of cancer tests here. They say simple blood tests 
can now detect cancer before your symptoms are even noticeable by regular modern medicine studies. So these were this was developed by researcher, and uh, this is British science, um, and uh, they developed this, they call it the smoke detector test, where uh, red blood cells are analyzed under this test. It's a simple test done in a lab, they said. But what it does is they look for mutated blood cells because that's what cancer does to the blood cell. So it's a test that costs, you know, probably less than $75. And it can even monitor people that may be at high risk of getting cancerous diseases. Uh, so the test can tell if um, uh, the type of cancer even and, uh, and, uh, and before the symptoms even appear. So there you go. Uh, last but not least in the quack report... Uh, Florida residents being fined for growing vegetables in their in their yard. Um, Carol, Tom Carroll and uh, Hermine Ricketts, they've been cultivating a garden for 17 years in their hometown of Miami Shores. Uh, but a new or- ordinance was passed that restricted vegetable growing, especially in your front or backyard. The couple um, had to dig up their lush garden and officials threatened them with a daily fine of $50 if they didn't. So now the residents of Miami Shores are kind of fighting back. They kind of liked having their own homegrown veggies. And so this ordinance is a problem with this new zoning plan that the uh, legal eagles have put through. There's a population of 10,000 there, and it's uh, an area located just north of Miami. So here in the South Florida region, um, people are wanting to cultivate you know, their own fruits and vegetables for their own table. But according to the, uh, you know, zoning, uh, the new ordinances, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not to have. Uh, the attorneys are saying that it's not your constitutional right uh, to have a garden, apparently. And uh, so uh, uh, and the, the judge says that the city has a right to decide uh, what your front yard will look like. How about that? Uh-huh. Okay, and that wraps the quack report. Thank you, Frank. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about what's going on over in uh, Europe. Uh, what we have really is a European roundup on natural medicine going on. It's been going on for a while, but it's kind of heating up there. Uh, back in 2010 and 11, we kept you apprised on reports on what uh, the European Union's massive regulations were doing regarding the natural health market there, and in specifically what was going on with herbal products. Now, at that time, Europe was losing the availability of about 20,000 herbs that the, the um, officials declared as unsafe or having insufficient studies to determine their safety, and the restrictions... Uh, put on the herb industry overseas is really a tantamount to robbing mankind of the benefits of herbs. So companies that are looking to import their herbal products to Europe, uh, what they find is this maze of requirements to get their product approved. So products that passed, um, uh, you know, products that passed the rigorous maze really contained, and if they did contain any minerals or enzymes, amino acids, or other nutrients that fell above the European Union-determined market-approved level, 
Well, then it was determined they could not be sold. So um, there's been this pressure also in the United States to adopt these restrictions that's going on over there in the European Union. So they want the U.S. marketplace to kind of mirror what's going on there. But, you know, uh, and we've also seen some uh, recent issues with the FDA making some changes with regards to the good manufacturing procedures that kind of make people a little nervous. Uh, of what uh, is going on with the industry. So we're going to take a look and see what Europe's up to and how that might impact your accessibility for herbal products in the U.S. But, you know, this this restrictive process is really a 40-year-old plan. Uh, The effort to restrict the natural market is not new. And, in fact, Europeans' track record is now 40 years in the making. So the European regulatory agencies that are involved have made getting approval to sell herbal products in their marketplace to be complicated and expensive. Now, for instance, a mid-sized company may elect not to export their products due to the ambiguously worded regulations that could require them to hire an agency that's skilled in maneuvering through the red tape and for the opportunity to seek approval. And such a hire would actually cost the company about $100,000, And there's really no guarantee that the approval would be granted. So all this regulation pushes the price of products higher and higher, pretty much out of the reach of most consumers. So one trend that I've noticed is the regulations have been creeping towards repositioning herbs into the drug category. So, you know, we all think, no, herbs are foods, uh, but they want to change that into drugs. And... uh, All this regulation, uh, you know, is that when herbs are considered, you know, not a food source but a drug source, well, then the European Medicines Agency, also known as EMA, well, then it hands manufacturers a whole new set of guidelines. And the Regulatory Affairs Professional Society is reporting that in 2016, the officials of the Good Manufacturing Practice GMPs and Good Distribution Practice and the Inspectors Working Group have all collaborated on a draft of the guidelines to remove the regulatory gaps for foreign importers and products that are made in foreign plants. Some people say, well, that's a good thing, you know, because, you know, what if we get some things from China that aren't so healthy? Right, but uh, you're going to see in a minute. Uh This intended plan really is to become what is referred to as the, quote, global nature of supply, end of quote. So these regulations are so far-reaching that they are referred to in the documents as, quote, internal annex and affects a business in more ways than just changing a few things on the product label. It impacts the company's quality control systems, the staffing, and also building operations. So here's a quote from nsherald.com, an overseas news reporting agency that says, herbal practitioners say it's impossible for most herbal medicines to meet the licensing requirement for safety and quality, which is or similar to those for pharmaceutical drugs, uh, because the cost of testing is outrageously high, and obtaining a license costs 161,000 U.S. dollars for one product. Think about it. Let's say you're a manufacturer and you got maybe 100 products. How are you going to afford over a million dollars 
in licensing fees. Yeah? Um, here's a quote from uh, Michael McIntyre. He's chairman European Herbal and Traditional Medicine Practitioners Association. He says this, the problem is you can't get a license for many herbal medicines because you can't patent them. And the implications are serious, end of quote. I'll say, I will say they are serious. Um, and you know what? Nobody, nobody seems to be challenging these new laws and guidelines. In the European Union, these laws are passed with relative ease. Uh, there have been like uh, 1,500 laws that were submitted in the last five years with regard to this particular market, and 80% are passed on the first reading. Can you imagine? Have you ever, if you're familiar with legislative law in the United States, whether it's state legislators or it's federal, um, you know, things don't get passed on the first reading. Things are amended. Things are, you know, abridged. Things are, um, you know, addendumized and so on and so on before the final draft is approved. But here, you know, uh, 80% 80% of their stuff is passed on the first reading? Uh, well, you know what that means. That means there's no longer any mechanisms in place for public opinion. Yep. So the people of the EU have to understand that laws that affect them are passed in closed negotiations. Laws are put into place and the public has no clue. They have no clue. Therefore, when the European medication agency's quality drafting group submitted documents called calling herbal extracts quote drugs it required revisions and changes on quality and testing and there was no objection no objection and there were you know the significant changes made to how these herbs are declared when they get imported even so we're told that there are other important changes to come with regard to the way the herbs should be tested and the type of quality allowed in their market. And I've heard from health professionals on both sides of the Atlantic that the lower the quality, the better the chance for getting approved. Did you hear that? Yeah, they don't want anything real potent, you know, in the hands of the public, apparently. So as we reported before there's an increasing band on herbal remedies throughout Europe and there is a growing anxiety that such guidelines are um, to be implemented globally. Did you hear that U.S., United States citizens out there? So I think it's a, a safe to say that the European market brokers don't want natural medicine in the marketplace that competes with pharmaceutical products. Here's a quote from Dr. Rob Verkick. He is with the Alliance for Natural Health regarding the European issue. He says, thousands of people across Europe rely on herbal medicines to improve their quality of life. They don't take them because they're sick. They take them to keep healthy, end of quote. Wow. Yeah, the power to stay healthy is eroding away over there. And they're widening the net. Let me just say this. This was astonishing to me. According to reports from Georgia uh, overseas, uh, 
with many producers of fresh herbs in Georgia over there, there has been a 60% decline in the export of fresh herbs to Europe. And they report that the European Economy Ministry is deciding how it wants to handle this market segment. So Georgia may be, you know, handed a, quote, greenhouse plan on how to operate their herb growing business if they want to export their stuff into Europe. According to reports floating about Europe, the European Union is in itself the world's largest market for herbs and spices. You know, they don't have the growing season, that the sun they need, so they import a lot of that stuff. So it's basically this large market's managed by Germany, and we're told the United Kingdom, which was kind of a shocker there, and it's expanding its reach. So Europeans are of the opinion that their regulations are the equivalent of ethnic crookery. I like that quote, ethnic crookery. Hmm. So with regards to imports, some feel the authorities have shown partiality to some countries such as the Netherlands, France, and Spain because of the spices that they import to the European Union. All right, let's look at the European medicines because the European Medicines Agency has established the need for herbal monographs on the on herbal products. Now, we've if you've been listening to the show, you know what a monograph is. It's kind of a standardized, pre-approved recipe for uh, an herbal supplement. Okay, so they have established herbal monographs, and herbal products need to have documents which include an assessment report on the herbal reviews and any data that's relevant for the medicinal use of the herb. So this is kind of the equivalent of having scientific data on the fruits and vegetables before you can eat them. So the monographs are uh, dictated recipes for the herbal preparations based on the European pharmacopoeia. Now, I checked out the U.S. Pharmacopoeia from the Library of Commerce uh, uh, up there in Washington, D.C., um, Congress, Library of Congress, I should say. Many years ago I did that because I wanted to see what kind of herbal preparations were contained in the pharmacopoeia because, you know, everybody referred to it as some sort of big authority. And so I looked at it, and the recommendations on the use of herbal ingredients in this thing were so watered down and made so weak that the formulation was useless. And maybe that's the point, right? Having monographs based on the pharmacopoeia so you get worthless crap. Yeah, that's what I think. I'm just saying it like I see it. I suspect the European pharmacopoeia is kind of the same as the U.S. because most likely the U.S. adopted their version. See? So I think people are beginning to realize that all the documentation and the tests required for herbal products makes the products too expensive to manufacture for any business other than the pharmaceutical industry. So what a way to take over the supplement market than to, you know, make it too difficult for your competition to make a product. See, this historical, the historical data, you know, the generation and the, after hundreds of years of use of herbs, oh, they're saying that's not sufficient. We're told that centuries of use does not qualify as plausible efficiency data. 
So, you know, where does the experience come in then on a practitioner who has hands-on evidential experience using herbs? It's not evidence, it's not efficiency data. Lord have mercy. Well, here is a quote from Daniel Fabricant. He's the CEO of the National Product Association. He used to work for the FDA in the dietary supplement division. He says, dietary supplements do not claim to cure or midgetate disease and are, in fact, regulated just like other drugs. Supplements require good manufacturing practice guidelines and compliance with the FDA's adverse events reporting and record-keeping requirements, among other things. So people kind of fed up with the type of care that they get from primary physicians that is covered by insurance and across the board, people are looking for ways to stay healthy on their own, end of quote. So it's like an affront to you and to me that we cannot look after our own health and stay healthy. Regardless of being sick, we're not sick. They don't want you to be able to stay healthy. All right, I know, I'm a little worked up over this, just a little bit. So, you know, this is what I think. I think we should be prepared. People in the U.S. need to be prepared to fight for their right to their herbal products. Already under the oversight of the FDA with the good manufacturing processes, the GMPs, we need to keep an eye on the regulations the FDA wants to change with regard to your supplement industry. And it is your supplement industry. So we need to be aware of any staged media reports that would involve, you know, common nutrition, common herbs. And uh, herbs, you know, have a record of safety that makes really the drug industry jealous. So if your herbal liquids are made properly, they will have a shelf life of at least 10 years. People are amazed at that. And if you have powdered herbs, if you, if you store them properly, five years, they'll last five years. Okay, so drugs past a two-year expiration are more toxic than when they didn't expire. Did you know that? You never, ever, ever want to take a chance and, 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 and use an expired medication, like, you know, an antibiotic or something. That stuff breaks down over time and becomes more toxic than its original uh, formulation. So you, you could run the risk of, you know, uh, destroying your kidneys, taking stuff like that. Now, so I think really uh, we've come to this point where it's, we're bumping up to the time that we, you're almost getting past the time that we can educate ourselves on herbal medicines, you know, to really know what we should do for ourselves. So if you want to get your feet wet and get, you know, the, the basics, uh, check out the Power Herbs ebook. Um, and uh, that way you'll learn, you know, what herbs remove toxins, boost immune system, reverse snake bites, that kind of stuff, you know. Um, you'll, you'll be amazed how powerful herbs can make you. And that is most likely the reason the powers in high places want to remove them from the market or, you know, replace them with, you know, worthless versions. So, uh, you know, for more information, if you want to order your Power Herbs ebook, it's just fourteen ninety nine, and there's three different formats you can choose from. Uh, you go to thepowerherbs.com and check it out there. And, uh, or you can call if you want a free product catalog, you want information, or if you want to order some herbal products that are whole food, certified organic, uh, give the folks at Apothecary Herbs a call. Their number is 
866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. If you're outside the U.S., dial 704-885-0277. And, of course, the website is thepowerherbs.com. Thepowerherbs.com. That's where your healthcare options just became endless. And don't forget, they got money-saving coupons on their website. Now, if you're on the website, you know, take advantage of the uh, free newsletters. Uh, they are there, and there's no subscription. They go out each week, and it will empower you with uh, enlightening information yep, that you can share with family or friends. We need to come together and share information like that, right? It could mean the lives of many. Think about that. Herbs are here for the service of man. Who said that? Do I see any hands out there? Well, that would be your creator. And we all know God can't lie. So it's time we tap into him. It's time we know how to use him. It's time we share that information and help one another. And, uh, and uh, you know, skip the toxicity. Let's do that. I think medicine's good for trauma, but that's about it. Mm. Thepowerherbs.com puts the power back in your hands. That's important to remember. All right. I know it's almost time for a break, but we're going to be talking about some tonics today, and uh, we'll see if we get time to cover some other things after we come back from the break. But we are going to be looking into the health benefits of tonics, especially as we move into the winter cold and flu season, which is just around the corner. Taking a break. We'll be right back. life into the original medicine herbalist wendy wilson will be right back don't make the aspirin mistake aspirin was discovered by mistake during world war ii and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called extra strength pain relief by apothecary herbs Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704 704- 875-8010 or order online at the three W's dot thepowerherbs.com. Your assignment is to find out what herb secrets herbalist Wendy Wilson has on Herb Talk Live. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? 
Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Herb Talk Live has your HMO, herb medicine options, coming up next. If you have a heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Some retro stuff there. What do they call that? Um, they 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 merge disco with something else. I can't think of it. But anyway, it's very very popular with my twenty something children. All right, we're going to be talking about tonics. Oh, techno. Thank you, Frank. That's the term I was looking for. All right, we're going to be talking about uh, tonics. Uh, you know, it's a word. The powers that be doesn't want us to use, right? So there's a long history regarding herb tonics. So how did that get started? And why were they necessary? Well, every culture seems to have invented its own medicinal tonic 
and with the goal in mind, obviously, to restore, tone, invigorate, cleanse, promote general well-being. So the tonic ingredients were selected consisting of an assortment of plants, you know, herbs, of course. Whoever it was that said that, you know, the golden age of herbalism was from the 1400s to the 1600s, I think was mistaken. Uh, Germany and France never lost sight of their herbal healing roots, as many other cultures uh, have not as well. So we're going to take a look at the pivotal role of herb tonics. So uh, what are the benefits? Well, many, in many cases, the tonics with the most power contain herbs with what we call adaptogen action. So in other words, the herbs selected will contain compounds that could read your chemical markers and adapt to your need within your human receptors. So it's also um, important to understand that it would improve the action of other herbs that were in the tonic and help stabilize uh, the metabolism. So the concept of the, quote, adaptogens was supposedly first used by the pharmacologist that was involving some drug some drug trials in 1947. So herbs with the adaptogen capability, have been thought to have the ability to help the body fight conditions like cancer. And modern science has been studying herbs to see how they are able to offer this miraculous, miraculous benefit. So they hope it may uh, lead them to some more discoveries, you know, why bacteria is able to adapt and resist their antibiotics. And most of the research on the topic of adaptogen herbs has been carried out in Russia, Korea, and China. However, more study needs to be done, you know, to satisfy the FDA's definition of a cure, you know, to treat or prevent disease using herbs or tonics. However, what scientists do, what they do know is that whatever the mechanism is inside the herbs, which decreases cellular stress on the body, well, that's a big question mark. They definitely want to know. So research has really shown that, for instance, ginseng has the ability as well as other herbs to reduce your cellular stress. So here are the scientific and medicinal definitions of adaptogens that cover nonspecific remedies. Uh, This is from the Photomedicine 1999 uh, edition by Wilkman and Wagner, it says adaptogens increase resistance to a broad spectrum of harmful factors or stressors of different physical, chemical, and biological natures. So, um, you know, your immune system has an adaptogen uh, immune system cell. Yeah, absolutely. It's built in. All right. And also they said this, adaptogens are a new class of metabolic regulators of a natural origin, which increase the ability of an organism to adapt to environmental factors and to avoid damage from factors. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not really new. It's something God created millennial ago, probably before the stars were in the sky, you know. But science is just now discovering, so they say it's new. Well, the Russians have by far conducted to uh, most of the research on the concept of plant adaptogens. Um, 1,500 pharmacological and clinical published studies by the Russians, and their research has boldly stated that adaptogen sources have been described as medicine uh, for healthy people. Wow. So 
there are a, a few products today that state the adaptogen benefit. In 1998, the FDA and the European Medicine Agency approved of a monograft on Siberian ginseng root as an adaptogen. Okay, enough research was dug up on that that they couldn't avoid it any longer. So the point is modern science and medicine has difficulty rationalizing the adaptogen mechanism in natural medicine sources. So herbal medicine all over the world has included herbs with adaptogen benefit regardless of what science now discovers or believes. So science may never understand the full benefit of your medicinal plants with their cellular transcription or an aptogen action. It's sort of like, you know, okay, fruits and vegetables are good for you. Science has to prove that first before it can agree to that. Well, let's look about at the winter months, you know, because in many cases, herb tonics had a common use of being taking, taken either in the spring, you know, after a long winter, you know, spring tonics were a necessity. They used them to refortify the body, give it a nutritional, you know, a push, uh, anything that was missing throughout the long winter. So, you know, winter created a necessity for these herbal tonics. So before the 20th century, the human diet in winter consisted of dried meat, some grains, and root vegetables. Later, we discovered that vegetables quickly lose their vitamins and minerals after they're harvested, so the herb tonics often contain herbs with high nutrients like calcium and iron and vitamin C. So the added benefit to the tonic was that it often cleansed the system while it supplied the needed nutrients. So herbs uh, like nettle, red clover, these herbs would sweep your blood system and help detoxify it. Other herbs like parsley or lobelia would act like diuretics and flush and tone the kidneys. And then, you know, the monks, they love tonics. They do. Up in those monasteries in the mountains where they're in the Himalayas or wherever they are. Uh, Now, the Asian monks love their tonics, and they actually sustain themselves on tonics. Uh, They claim that herb tonics uh, take you from disease prevention to optimum health. Yeah. So not only do they prevent disease, they improve your health. They give you optimum health. I think that's a great quote from the monks. Uh, The monks are the first to tell you that Western medicine focuses on disease prevention while their Eastern philosophy to health focuses on longevity, vitality, rejuvenation, and working with the energy your body already has on a physical and spiritual level. So Asian monks love American ginseng. They love astragalus root because both offer that adaptogen quality. And ginseng is well known as a panax or panacea herb, you know, has many uses. So ginseng has uh, many saponins that are responsible for helping the body with illness. Lots of illness, you need some ginseng, especially if you're coming off a long convalescence, really helps the body, it gets the endurance back. So the Asians understand. Um, Astragalus root offers immune support can help uh, export toxins out of the body quickly. American ginseng with astragalus root together offer a synergistic effect. They offer stamina to the body, and they reduce fatigue. And patients 
unlucky enough to be treated with radiation, let's for instance, like chemotherapy for cancer, they find that a stragglish route reduces the negative side effects of the cancer treatments that modern medicine, um, you know, doesn't have really any answers for there. Um, by the way, Answer Cancer Research Center, University of Houston, Texas, uh, confirmed that astragalus root helps patients get through the cancer treatments a lot easier. So what the astragalus root has become known for, it in, also improves uh, sperm mobility for male fertility. Uh, so Asian monks will tell you that uh, use herbal tonics um, if you want radiant health. That's what they say. Eh. They don't need a monograph. They don't need all this, uh, you know, reporting and testing. They just know it works. <laughs> all right, here's a little history lesson. Herb tonics, very, it's a very old way uh, that's been used to help the body heal itself. So Hippocrates wrote about herbal tonics. It was part of the traditional Greek medicine. So both Hippocrates and Galen uh, felt that the nutrition in your tonics was a superior approach to healing than therapeutic intervention. So if they were alive today, they would have an assessment and it would go something like this. If you want something in the superior category, use tonics to build strength, vitality, and health. If you want something in the average category, therapeutic agents to influence your body function. And if you want something inferior, use your toxic drugs. Hmm. So aside from all the life-saving trauma treatments that modern medicine uses today, it really lacks the ability to cure or prevent disease. So why did medicine lose sight of its traditional holistic, vitalistic properties? Well, why did medicine abandon supporting and building the human system in order to acquire natural resistance in lieu of using stronger and stronger drugs and using evasive surgery. Why did they go that route? Well, the ancient Greeks can answer that. Um, the Greek physicians were very well known for their superb ability to teach people how to care for themselves to the point that the population became so healthy that the Greek doctors were out of a job. So the Greeks always treated the person and not the disease. And Greek physicians had such a superior reputation in the healing arts that they were usually the first professionals to be taken as captives alive so they could heal the invading army. So inorganic mineral drugs, toxic mercury, and the misuse of um, botanicals such as opiates, henbane, and belladonna were unfortunately adopted by medicine to offer the illusion of health. So later medicine added, you know, antibiotics, viral drugs, vaccines to their list of disease treatments. Well, you got that right when you when you when you hear that they're treating you with disease. How does that sound? Well, the patented greed of the medical profession, you know, uh, has led know, to defects in our medical treatments, and it's becoming increasingly more clear with every decade. So medicines, drug therapies turn people into drug addicts or slaves to the drugs and tend to put them in early graves. Yep, it does. Well, let's look at the catalyst. You know, in the 16th century, a physician and philosopher 
Baraclesius, uh, he told his students to combine herbs with liquid catalysts to extract the nutrition from them, making the liquid the living bioavailable matter. Um, you know, so, the, so all the nutrition went from the plant into the liquid, and it became more potent than a single plant alone. So history has proved that tonics overall furnish the body with, quote, live whole food vitamins, minerals, plant proteins, flavonoids, and amino acids. So the tonics help revitalize the system with what is called a slow infusion of nutrition, and it removes the cellular stress. So tonics offer a relaxing effect to your organs because it strengthens and tones the entire system, takes the burden off your organs. Now, your vinegar-based tonics are excellent for systems overwhelmed with yeast. They are also good for colds and flu, epidemics, chronic fatigue, immune system weakness, and digestive problems. So the best catalysts for herb tonics, which extract more nutrition are going to be your vinegar and your alcohol. So glycerin from plants is really not an effective uh, catalyst because it doesn't extract the full spectrum of the plant nutrition and it leaves the formula weak and incomplete. So some plants have multiple alkaloids and they have to be captured for optimum benefit and therefore a catalyst of vinegar and alcohol has to be used to make this a powerful concentrate. So as modern medicine attempts to manage drug-resistant bacteria, they often find that they must resort to other natural sources. For instance, hospitals that cannot stop the spread of staph infections are now using honey. They are also using natural antibacterial agents in the honey to destroy the bad pathogens and none of the healthy flora. Another option is liquid garlic because it's non sticky for the same reasons. And mutating versions and bacteria may be immune to antiviral or antibacterial drugs, but they are not immune to the human immune system that is strengthened with natural medicines. So an immune system that is allowed to function and is supported with immune-supporting herbs, it helps the immune system uh, in the following manner. It will improve the neutralization of the infection with antibodies known as killer T-cells. It speeds up the removal of pathogen debris, so it removes the disease from the body quickly. It assists the immune system functions, such as with fever and flushing out pathogens. It improves sleep. It strengthens. It gives stamina. It improves breathing and circulation. It reduces phlegm or mucus congestion, and it strengthens and speeds the overall healing process. So, it's a strengthening thing. That's what tonics do. They strengthen. So, if we remove the knowledge filter that medicine likes to place on things that it can't understand or prove, well, we find that God was truthful when he said herbs are here for the service of man. That's in Psalms 104, verse 14. So, we may never understand all the secrets through what God created, but we are comforted that there is natural medicine resources used, and it's been used for thousands of years, that we could benefit from. So I, for one, I will, I tonic it up 
uh, I overcome infections. I recover much faster than those on prescriptions. I do. And Apothecary Herbs offers the whole food immune-boosting herbal formulas, and they do have the all-in-one tonic, which is uh, pretty much the bomb uh, if you want to sidestep a lot of flu bugs for the winter months. They do have a nice uh, Nip It in the Bud 3 Amigos pack as well because it uses the synergistic effect of three herbs. And they do have a Stragglies Root, Neck and Asia, and they have a pandemic kit and all sorts of neat things to give you power this cold and flu season. And, uh, you know, and shorten the duration of illness if you do tend to catch something or power up the immune system and just skip it all together. Yeah? Thepowerherbs.com. Never forget that email, that, that domain address, thepowerherbs.com. That's where your healthcare options just became endless. The toll-free number, if you want to catalog, is 866-229-3663. 866-229-3663, thepowerherbs.com. If you're outside the U.S., it's 704-885-0277. And uh, visit online, thepowerherbs.com, sign up for the newsletters. You'll be glad you did. Completely free, no subscription fee. All right, we've got a few minutes. Master Glenn Jr. Frank, I've got a few minutes. I'm going to talk about apples. Uh, you know, we're getting into fall, big apple season. I mean, there's apple, what are the apple festivals going on in Hickory, North Carolina here, I think. And... Um, you know, people think it, you know, was the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. But, you know, apples have been a favorite fruit in the ancient Greek writing, the Romans, the Egyptians. Um, people think it was the fruit in the Garden of Eden. Um, but they have traced apples back all the way to the area of the Capsican and the Black Sea area. Um, the average American going to eat about 17 pounds of fresh apples, but Europeans eat 46 pounds a year. Yeah, we need to eat more apples. We do. If you eat an apple a day for a year, you'll lose 10 pounds. If you have 10 pounds, you need to lose. It just helps the body, you know, get rid of the unwanted fat. Um, well, you know, it does have a cornucopia. Cornucopia benefits. Apples are great. Um, they're from the rose family. Um, and some, you know, everyday apples, you know, it's, it's fine. And the apple day keeps the doctor away. Well, if you get an organic one, it still has the nutrition in it. Yeah. Try to eat organic. Apples have uh, usually five seed pockets. And the number of seeds that are in each pocket will tell you how healthy that apple tree was. So when you cut open your core and you start plucking out the seeds, you can tell, wow, this came from a pretty healthy tree. Um, there's lots of apples grown all over the U.S. We have, of course, the Red Delicious. Uh, we have the Granny Smith. Uh, we have quite a few varieties. There's like 2,500 varieties of apples. Um, and about 100 of them are mainly grown commercially. Um, they're fat-free. They're cholesterol-free. They're sodium-free. Uh, they tend to have about 80 calories, 5 grams of fiber. Um, and, you know, the U.S. The economy, you know, Needs apples. It really does. So um, October is your national apple month. Um, There's like uh, apples are grown in 50 United States here in the U.S. Uh, Only 36 states, though, grow them commercially, uh, mostly coming out of New York, um, Washington State. 
some come out of New York and Michigan, Pennsylvania, and California and Virginia. Uh, and they're, most of them are still picked by hand, which is good. And um, a lot of them are exported. Uh, but you're going to find that, um, you know, George Washington, he had a hobby of pruning his apple trees. And um, apples were known by the colonists as the winter banana. So uh, big apple producers in the world are China, Turkey, Poland, Italy, and, of course, the United States. But here are some studies coming out of the Netherlands on your apples. They have more flavonoids and antioxidants than your vitamin C and E by about 50%. Now, Dr. Michael Hertog of the National Institute of Public Health in Biltoven found that patients that ate apples cut their risk of having a fatal heart attack by 50%. Do you have heart disease in your family tree? Well, I'd say get some organic apples going. Um, Now, this was based on a study of patients that ate a large apple each day. Make sure it's a good size apple. The flavonoids, they said, help prevent plaque from forming. Uh, lowered the blood pressure and cholesterol. Um, 1993 USDA study, uh, apples contain boron, which is necessary if you want to have calcium in your system, an uptake of calcium. All right, so some of the folklore, um, the old folklore remedy, apples are good for diarrhea, they say. Uh, according to French, the French, they say it's good for insomnia, um, and it's a natural aid to uh, to heal damaged skin, apparently. Splash on the skin, apple cider, rejuvenates the skin, helps prevent aging, they say. Ooh, that's cool. I used to, like, you know, my grandmother used to, like, say, rinse your hair with vinegar and make it real shiny. It did. Made it really shiny. So there's really nothing more wonderful than eating a fresh apple. Benefits of all the marvelous nutrition God put in there. But if you have trouble eating healthy, um, you want to check out um, the Body Foundation food mix that the folks at Apothecary Herbs make. It's a powdered mix you throw into a juice or smoothie, and it covers a wide range of your nutritional needs. But also you're going to find um, apple pectin in their bowel cleanse product, which is good at toning and soothing the colon and detoxifying it. So you can check out the organ body cleanses and the body food mix at the powerherbs.com website, or you could call and ask for a free product catalog. The number is toll-free at 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. But if you're outside the U.S., dial 704 704- Eight eight five zero two seven seven, and request your catalog and uh, get empowered. That's what it's about. Remove all those toxins that, you know, put you at risk of, you know, disease and uh, dying early. For real. Powerherbs.com. Yeah, and boost your immune system this year so you can stay uh, at work or at school and not miss a thing. Uh, and watch the sugar and alcohol. You know, October starts the sugar month all the way through February. This is where your cold and flu season really takes hold is because we're abusing sugar or we're drinking alcohol that converts to sugar. And it really does undermine our immune system. So if you intend to partake in uh, sugary delights or uh, adult beverages during the holiday season, well, then you better do some immune-boosting herbs. That's all I got to say. You know, one candy bar shuts off the immune system for eight hours. 
Thepowerherbs.com. Gotta go. The information is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or Seek medical advice, if you dare, from a licensed medical physician before using any proctor therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, be well. Political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Good evening and welcome to the Covenanters Call. This is Pastor Mike Hoover, and we are broadcasting live from hot and muggy southern Indiana, and we welcome you to the broadcast. We are a call-in question and answer program. If you'd like to give us a call here this evening at American Voice Radio, that number is 1-800-932-1980. 1-800-932-1980, or local call-up number is 541 541- Eight two six zero nine five three. That's five four one eight two six zero nine five three. Those of you that are listening on the KU band satellite Galaxy nineteen transponder twenty three frequency one two one one five. We welcome you this evening to the broadcast and all the rest that are involved. Also, we appreciate those folks in the chat room. Just a few of us here this evening, but uh, we encourage you to come on into the American Voice Radio chat room. It is a free service, and lots of stimulating conversation takes place in here. You can even post your questions there. I try and monitor it uh, during the broadcast, try and pay attention there. But uh, I encourage you to do so as well. Let me remind you, we'd love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. You can drop me an email, themuggyown, T-H-E-M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N, at cleaninter.net, C-L-E-A-N-I-N-T-E-R.net. Or feel free to give us a phone call, that number here, 812-653-5578, and we would certainly love to hear from you. A special hello to friends of ours listening tonight out there in northern New Mexico, we got folks in Arizona, up in Washington State, and uh, other parts across the country, maybe even folks around the world, I don't know. But uh, we appreciate you tuning in to the broadcast. A couple of things to remind you of what's coming up, Lord willing. The 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of September, 
We will be over right outside of Edderville, Missouri, at the Faith Baptist Church with Pastor Shea Carpenter, where family camp takes place every year. This will be about the 10th year we've gone over there. And uh, preaching every night, activities during the day, great time of fellowship. Uh, men that understand the principle of the uh, unregistered church, the Lordship Church, and you'll hear preaching on it during that week. We're looking forward to being there. We're probably going to take 40 or 50 of our church folk with us and go over there and camp out and just have a great time. So if you're in that part of the country, uh, we'd love to meet you. Love to have you come up to the camp meeting there. Just contact me for more information. And then also, Lord willing, uh, the first full week of October, my son, Pastor Keith Hoover, from the Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church up in Union City, Indiana, and myself, will be preaching up outside of Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, for Pastor Ken Griesbach up there. And looking forward to a great time, be there Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday, and Sunday, and uh, going to have a great time. So we would love to meet you and uh, have you, if you're in that part of the country, come in and uh, listen to the preaching. Going to have a great time, and the Lord just wanted to alert you uh, to that. I, I like to begin this evening uh, dealing with a subject um, uh, that's so relevant in our day and time. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight. Going to deal with a, a number of things. I'd like to share some thoughts with you from a friend of mine. Uh, along these lines, and probably we will share thoughts for a considerable amount of time before we're finally done. But I want to talk to you about tyranny tonight. You know, tyranny is a specific expression of the fallen human nature. It's author, it's author, authoritarian, I'll get it out, authoritarian, there's the word, dictatorial, and despotic forms of government that have prevailed among mankind since the very first human government arose under Nimrod, the mighty hunter there in Genesis chapter 10. Governments since Nimrod have begun or ended as some form of oppressive craft, often ruled by one man. Even God-honoring governments often devolve into evil machinations which destroy liberty and dissolve freedom among men. This fact is part of Lucifer, Satan, the devil's plan, part of his grand rebellion against Almighty God. I mean, after all, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, is the prince of the power of the air and the ruler of this world. It is he who influences and directs all the kingdoms and hence the governments of the earth. You can read about it there in Matthew chapter 4. Tyranny expressed within human government as an operating principle, however, is in particular repugnant. God invented government. A government which manifests itself through tyranny is an extreme rebellion through its governors, kings or ministers or whatever, against God's plan and purpose for government. You see, friend, human government, invented and established by Almighty God as his ordinance among men, has been perverted by the devil through his human minions into a rebellion against God's intent for government to punish evil and to reward good. You see, in general, throughout mankind's history on earth, kings and monarchs and despots and dictators have ruled over men, committing evil and eschewing good. The tyrant, and hence tyranny, is a special breed of ruler. What the tyrant brings upon men is beyond the delineations of generic despotism. Tyranny 
is a manifestation and evidence of the ultimate desire and goal and wish of Lucifer for all mankind. The wish of the evil one is the total destruction of mankind from the face of the earth. Well, then the question rises is why? Well, the paramount reason is because man is made in the image and likeness of Almighty God. A second reason is that Almighty God prefers to have all men saved so that they may live with him in eternal love and peace. Lucifer hates men almost as much as he hates God. He desires that men perish and go to hell. Tyranny abets this Luciferian lust to kill man. Now, to make more advanced his quest against God and his evil desire for men, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, ruler of the kingdoms of the earth, invented tyranny. Tyranny is not so much a form of government as it is, as it is a process of the devil. It is a venue, a platform, a means by and through which the devil seeks to eradicate men from the earth. America is on the road to tyranny. This specific process, that is tyranny, insinuated into the increasingly liberty and freedom-denying government within the United States of America, today spreads its tentacles. It reaches and gropes for and grips and holds and fastens by which it may secure itself and from which it may wreck or wreak its wickedness among us. Tyranny is the planned thing. It is an expression of the evil heart. Now, why is it this tyranny? Why is it so special or so different or so much more evil than the generic form of despotism? One word serves to set it apart, this tyranny, and that word is barbarism. In 1983, author Constance Cumbie published a modern Christian expose and criticism of the New Age movement. Her book was an eye-opener for many Americans. She aptly titled her best-selling book, The Hidden Dangers of the Rainbow, The New Age Movement and Our Coming Age of Barbarism. The satanic roots of the New Age Movement were exposed by Cumbie in her book. Although the book stuck closely to the elements of the New Age, it did reveal the tie between the Luciferian New Age Movement and Satan's plan to bring cataclysmic worldwide barbarism upon mankind. The New Age movement, which is broad of scope and wide of interpretation, is only one act or one mode of the total plan in Satan's arsenal of death. Tyrannical government, like the New Age movement, is only one venue of Lucifer, Satan, the devil's worldwide plan. The thing which sets tyranny apart from the other manifestations of oppressive government is the fact that barbarism is fundamental to it. One definition of barbarity or barbarism is innate cruelty. Cruelty is the essence of barbarism, and barbarism is an expression of tyranny. Tyranny lives to be cruel. Cruelty exemplifies tyranny. Both are fueled by hatred. Hatred is the opposite of love. God is love. The devil is the father of hate. A most recent example of large CEO government tyranny and its cruel nature, fueled by hate, which the world may recognize as the Hitlerian Nazi Third Reich from 1933 to 1945. Nazism was tyrannical, and it was cruel in the extreme. 
The cruelty or barbarism of the Nazi regime in Germany expressed itself mainly through government programs set against specific races and groups of people and human beings. Six millions of Jews and unknown millions of nationalities of European peoples were murdered in various and, yes, cruel ways by the Nazi tyrannizers. They were most cruelly annihilated, annihilated, excuse me, not because of what they did or did not do, but because of who they were. And that is the crux of the devil's plan for his barbarity through tyranny upon men and specifically upon the American population. Lucifer, Satan, the devil will kill, murder, exterminate men from the face of the earth because of who they are. They are men, mankind, made in the image of the one who is the focus of the devil's unmatched hatred. Because we are man, or excuse me, men made in God's image, we will be made to suffer the most cruel, the most barbaric methods of government wickedness, tyranny. It's the devil's plan for America. The cruelty of tyranny has as its end goal death to its victims. But the nature of cruelty or barbarism includes and is interested in far more than mere death of its victim. Death is only the end of cruelty or the cessation of its degradation upon its victim. Cruelty is cruel because its scope of because of its scope of operation or its expression or its manifestation, or its presence, has its source at the first contact with the victim. Most examples of despotic government are exemplified through or by a desire for control. Here's a word for you, totalitarianism, if you will. Many are exemplified through greed and covetousness and lust and desire. But tyranny, expressed through cruelty, is motivated by pure hatred. This hatred would even cast aside control or covetousness or money and wealth only and if it could be allowed license and freedom to exact its cruelty upon its victims because of hatred. That is tyranny. The one acknowledgement of truth which you, the listener today, must acquiesce to in order to fully grasp the focus of our study as we begin is that there is and has been and will be until the biblically prophesied battle of Armageddon a satanic worldwide Luciferian conspiracy against God Almighty. It's called the mystery of iniquity. You can read about it in Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. If you don't or won't accede to this truth, then chuck this series of messages and don't listen and Climb back down in your rabbit hole to the Alice in Wonderland dream world that you came from. America's descent into tyranny, like all the nations before her who have transversed the same road, is spiritual in nature. It is not political. It is not cultural. It is not economic. Nor is it evolutionary. These are all symptoms of the spiritual cause. Indeed, they are used as deceptions to mislead the victims, Americans that is, and to justify the perpetrators. The true cause of our rapidly accelerating sprint toward tyranny in America is what, that we have rejected the God of the Bible. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, God reveals to us that Lucifer, Satan, the devil, 
works among the men of the world. Afflictions. These afflictions may be most anything, but one certain thing they are is deception of the mind. After all, is not deception and deceit the primary weapon of the devil? A fundamental deception or affliction which the devil works among men is to create in their minds an altered or skewed or untrue worldview. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. One affliction is the false rudiment of the world, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. That, ma- that matter created itself, that there is no God, and that all life evolves into higher forms. That, friend, is an affliction of the devil. It is an altered world view. And most men in the world accept this affliction, believing it to be the truth. If and when men believe this particular affliction, they find it difficult to also believe that, number one, the devil's a real person. Then number two, the devil rules the kingdoms of the world. Number three, the devil runs a worldwide conspiracy against God. Number four, that men are part of the conspiracy. And number five, that men are accountable to an all-powerful God. Hey, friends, guess what? Christians also believe have been taken captive by the aspects of this same affliction. Yes, friends, by the droves. Christians who say they believe that the devil is real will out of the other side of their mouths deny that the devil runs a worldwide conspiracy against God and that he controls and orders the kingdoms or nations of the earth and that he uses men all over the face of the globe to work his evil conspiracy. The devil has them deceived through his affliction. So, those men who believe in satanic conspiracy are few. When Christians read in their Bibles of the end times, and specifically of the tribulation period, they may wonder how it's all going to come about. No doubt they may wonder if it will ever happen, or if the book of Revelation is just an allegory, or maybe a great metaphor, or the geriatric ravings of a deluded, demented, senile prisoner of the Roman Empire consigned to live on a deserted island. Sadly, these deceived Christians either don't want to know the truth because it scares them so, or they flat don't believe it. Well, friends, too bad for them. God's Word is true when it describes the disastrous times of the tribulation period. It is true in every detail. Further, this terrible time at the end of the world will not merely pop up overnight. It will not quietly and unobservedly appear early one morning like an unwanted mushroom in your front lawn that was not there when you went to bed the night before. Oh, no. The tribulation period, the seven years of grinding anarchy and chaos and death and destruction, which is coming upon the world of man, will appear in due time after long years of preparation. The tribulation period will be built up to slowly mounded up like an ever-enlarging siege ramp against the fortified walls of a city. It will be traceable. It will be recognizable. It will be detectable and evidenced plainly to the minds and eyes of those who recognize the signs. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you one of the sign readers? This is written for you. 
this very passage in Scripture that tells us to keep our eyes on the eastern sky. This series of, these, this series of messages are for you if you're a sign reader and you want to know the truth. Human ostriches, those keeping their heads crammed in the sand and denying that everything that they see before their very eyes is not there, won't listen to what we have to say here. In pre-World War II Germany, the signs were evident that the Nazi regime was about to unleash a holocaust of death upon the Jews, the gypsies, the communists, the mental retarded, the feeble-minded, and other of its political enemies. But the Jews especially, in great numbers, utterly refused to see the signs, to take heed, and to escape the Nazi death while they could. Likewise, the governments of other European nations, France and Great Britain foremost, refused to see, even to the extent of denial after denial, the Nazi threat which was emerging and shaping up before their very eyes. The prime ministers of both France and Great Britain so sought for peace <clears throat> excuse me, that they were willing to close their eyes to the obvious, making declarations like, peace in our time. Neville Chamberlain, British prime minister, said that in 1938. After being deceived by Hitler's claim of peaceful intentions on the world scene. Well, guess what, friend? The Nazi Holocaust was an iteration, excuse me, of the devil's worldwide conspiracy. Oh, yes, Lucifer, Satan, the devil rules over the kingdoms of the earth. World War II Germany was a kingdom of the earth. It was under the devil's control. It did his work. It worked his conspiracy. It furthered his agenda. Does the devil wish to eradicate God's chosen people, Israel, from the face of the earth? Yes. Did he attempt to bring it about through the Nazi plan to exterminate the Jews? Yes. Does the devil hate all human beings, wishing to see them eradicated from the face of the earth? Again, the answer is yes. When will he attempt to bring it about in one final onslaught? Well, friend, that's during the time of the tribulation. At the least, 50 million human beings perished as a result of World War II. Now, friends, that's an appalling number. Yet that horrendous loss of human life will gray and fade when compared to the human death which will result from the devil's conspiracy during the tribulation. Death will characterize the tribulation. Revelation 6 verse 8 tells us this, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. The tragedy of deaths of at least 1.75 billion humans, that's in today's estimated world population, seems almost too extreme, too ghoulish to grasp with our minds. Yet, friends, it will occur. It will happen. And guess who will be behind it all? Yes, the, de the devil. God says power was given to death and to hell to reap this number of human lives from the face of the earth. 
God permits it. God steps back, allowing the devil's conspiracy to proceed as it moves to wipe out a fourth number of the human population from the entire earth. But friend, it gets worse. In Revelation chapter 9, we read of the war brought upon mankind by a 200 million man strong army, which is loosed by the four angels who are bound in the river Euphrates. That's in verse 14 of the same chapter. By this great army, the Bible declares that a third part of men will be slain. Death reigns during the tribulation, my friend. Consider then that one-fourth of the world's human population is wiped away and sent to hell as prophesied in Revelation 6, verse 8. Next, a third of what remains in population, maybe as many as two billion, will be taken away. Together, these great reapings of humanity will account for a little over half the human population of the earth. And that, in a little while, perhaps in a matter of mere months. Is this horror comprehensible to your mind, friend? What a terrible epoch of grief and anguish and chaos and death and abomination will reign upon the earth during this time. Satan will rejoice in his seething hatred for mankind as his bloody scythe of death reaps and reaps across the face of the earth. Friend, don't be deceived. God allows it. But the devil is the mastermind, the chief conspirator, the operator of the scourge of death that will fill the earth during this time. Later, during the second half of the tribulation period, God himself will bring disaster upon disaster, many through natural means, upon the remaining inhabitants of the earth. But this first destruction of over half the world's population will be brought about through and by the devil's conspiracy. Now, friend, the object of these messages is not the tribulation period. I want to discuss the time before the tribulation comes upon man. But we're just about up to our break. So you folks, make sure you stay tuned for the second half of the Covenanters Talk call. Because I want to speak to you of that ramping up time. Especially within the borders of the United States of America. The land of the free and the home of the brave. You stay tuned for the Covenanters call. vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Since the beginning of the United States, Kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now.
falls, then bound that way and cascaded down mountainsides to their deaths. Some were hung by their arms or legs with great weights attached to them in order to painfully stretch and separate the tendons and ligaments from their bones. Some were stretched likewise on racks. Some were slowly roasted alive over fires on spits like hogs or goats. Some were most cruelly mutilated by having various body parts slashed off one by one. Some had fingers and limbs smashed with hammers or screws slowly one at a time. Some were dragged alive behind horses or being drawn and quartered were split asunder. Some were chained or roped together in human trains and cast alive into lakes and rivers. Many, many were burned alive at the stake. These things are examples of barbarism. Barbarism is essential to tyranny. Tyranny is innate cruelty. These Christians were the victims of tyranny. Cruelty is the hallmark of tyranny. Barbarism, as aptly prophesied by Constance Cumbie in her book, will surely return to the world in days to come. Its victims will be identified, hunted, captured, and subjected to extreme cruelty. They will be the victims of cruel barbarism, tyranny, merely for what they believe and for who they are. This thing will happen in the United States of America. It will happen to Christians, to people you know, or to people you are related to, maybe even to you. Within the past few years, the cruelty of tyranny has been visited upon people not Christian by people who claim to be Christian. What? Oh, yes. Ever hear of the U.S. military torture prison in Abu Ghraib, Iraq? Ever see photographs of the cruelties being inflicted upon Muslim prisoners inside that facility by American soldiers or mercenaries? Be assured, those photos you may have seen were only the ones that were fit to be put into the public domain. These acts of barbarity, born of hatred, committed upon people merely for who they were or what they believed. It continues today, not only in Iraq and Afghanistan, but outside a little town in southern Cuba called Guantanamo Bay. America owns a military base there. She houses prisoners there, unindicted, uncharged, unadjudicated, unconvicted, unsentenced, unheard of, unknown, but surely subjected to the cruelties of torture arising out of hatred for who they are or what they believe. Abu Ghraib was not a fluke, a rare phenomenon. No, it was and is a symptom, an expression of the tyranny coming to your city, your town, and your neighborhood. The same people who perpetrated the tyranny in these two places will also be the ones to perpetrate the tyranny in your town in future America. The perpetrators will be Americans, your own people. Will you become a victim? Make no mistake. When I speak of Christians being the victims of tyranny, I mean real Christians, true Christians, 
The real and true Christians today are far fewer in number than the total of professing Christians. There will be a separation. Most professing Christians will escape being the victims of American tyranny. Why? The first reason is that they will quickly deny, repudiate, and abandon their professed Christianity in order to avoid the cruelties of barbaric tyranny. A second reason being is that they truly belong to the devil. Because not being saved and born again, they remain at enmity with God. God will not know them. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. A third reason is that being of the devil, they will be known to him as his. He will lead them away and astray so easily from their former profession of, quote, Christianity, end of quote. He does now and will do this in the future through many afflictions as noted by God the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9. Consider that the developing world religion will become the religion of the Antichrist. That religion will be a religion of Satan worship. It will be well accepted by the world, by today's false Christianity, by all the other religions of the world, and it, the false Satan-worshipping world religion, will prove a prime source of tyranny against, or excuse me, used by the devil against true Christians. Just as it was an ancient mother, the harlot whore church known as Roman Catholicism, this coming world religion of Satan will be denominated as the end product, or the last version of Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, Revelation 17, verse 5. It is this abomination of the earth which Satan will use as a prime weapon to murder millions of Christians during the tribulation. But this false religion will be given birth before the tribulation arrives on the world scene. In fact, it is now in the birth canal of its harlot mother. Yes, it now pursues its course, being prepared to emerge upon the world. Its birth is being heralded, made ready for, planned for, and expected. Its adherents are being identified, instructed, collected, and molded into the house it will occupy, even as you hear this preaching. When it emerges and is accepted worldwide and rejoiced upon, then we may be assured that the tyrannizing of Christians will shortly follow. This birth child will be the forerunner of the global satanic religion of the tribulation period, introduced by the false prophet. It will be Baal worship reborn. Now, God explains to us that things in the Bible were written for our example and admonition. The word admonition carries one specific meaning. Warning. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 declares, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Yes, the ends of the world are come upon us. Let us understand the admonition, the warning, the things which occurred in the past, and learn from them so that we may understand the times in which we live. 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 32. A primary truth we must accept regarding America and her soon descent into tyranny is that Americans and America have no fear of God. When a people lose or abjure their fear of God, 
they're placing themselves in grave danger. Not only danger from God's sword, sure, excuse me, sure judgment, but in danger from Lucifer, Satan, the devil's further deception. Recall with me a fundamental command from God to all men. Solomon declares this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Was this written for our admonition? Well, clearly it was. All men, lost or saved, redeemed or condemned, believers or unbelievers, are commanded by God to fear him and to keep his commandments. You see, God doesn't give us any options. Let me take a drink there, excuse me. God gives no options. God allows no excuses. He permits no equivocating. All men are to fear him. It is our duty before God. There is no fear of God in America. The fear of God no longer characterizes America, specifically or Americans generally. There are many examples which could be drawn upon to prove this declaration. What does it mean exactly to fear God? To fear God is not a one-dimensional expression within the human soul. Fearing God is not cowering in a corner in terror, expecting God at any moment to bring pain, agony, and judgment upon us for our disobedience. Those who teach such an idea about fearing God are either ignorant or they are liars. There are several facets to fearing God. The first is a profound reverential awe for who he is and for what he has done in demonstration of who he is, in manifesting his person and his power. The first aspect of fearing God is to recognize who he is and who we are in relation to him. God is the Almighty. Perfection in power, sovereignty, holiness, wisdom, infallibility, righteousness, judgment, and love personify God. Eternal in existence, purpose, means, and constantly, constancy, excuse me, personify God. God is utter perfection in all his characteristics. He is the all-powerful, filling the entire universe with the manifestation of his power. Read Romans chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. Having made man in his image and likeness, not in his express image now, but a little lower than the angels, Psalm 8, we men are to see ourselves in relation to God according to the measure of our likeness to him. In other words, even though we are made in his likeness, as in possessing life and that everlasting, being triune, having personhood, possessing imagination, a soul and a spirit, being a reasonable moral agent, we will never be as God, nor will we be equivalent to God, nor are we even the same essence as God. You see, friend, we're his creation. 
And being his creation, we are inferior to him in every way and manner for one very important reason. That reason is his utter perfection, which is unique to him and him alone. We are his creation, but we are not of his essence. You see, the essence of God is a -a one-of-a-kind essence. He, God, is over and outside every other atom, particle, and bit of the totality of creation, which includes us. He is the Almighty, and we are but dust before him. We, humans, are worthy of recognition and acknowledgement by God and from God only because he deems it so. It's not because we have any innate worth before him that demands his notice, other than he himself chose to make us in his image, and because he himself chose to love us. Some refer to this theological expression as worm theology and reject it as a denigration of mankind who is the epitome of God's creative mind and power. Well, that charge is not true. The so-called worm theology is merely acknowledging reality. It removes from men any inkling of pride before God. Standing in reverential awe of God puts us in the right perspective and gives us the correct focus for demonstrating the fear of God. When we acknowledge who God is and who we are in relation to him, then the next facet of fearing God easily emerges. That facet is love for God. The trite saying to know him is to love him is really true when it comes to God and man. To know God, that is to know him in all his utter perfection, and to know ourselves in relation to that utter perfection, we find it easy to love him. Not in an envious or a jealous way, but in the way of gratefulness and honor and reverence and praise and respect. And this facet operating within our hearts leads logically to the next facet of fearing God. That last facet is a sincere desire to obey God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John fourteen fifteen. Such a simple yet profound expression of the last two facets of fearing God. When Jesus, the Son of Man, declared to John the Baptist that he, Jesus, must be baptized, he said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was telling John that he, Jesus, must show and demonstrate and manifest his willingness, even his desire, to obey God the Father in completing the task he was giving him upon the earth. That manifestation was shown in water baptism, an act of obedience to the will of God. The baptism of Jesus was the beginning act of his fulfilling all righteousness in the eyes of God. And what was God's instant response? It was the voice of God coming from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Yes, my friend, in his baptism, even Jesus demonstrated the righteous fear of God, a willingness to obey, based upon love for God the Father, and it pleased God. 
So we observe at least three facets to the fear of God. To be reverential in reverential all of him, which leads to loving him, which leads to a desire to obey him. That is the fear of God. And God commends all men everywhere and all time to fear him. In fact, he declares that to fear him and to keep his commandments is the whole duty of man. It seems so simple, yet we know by our own observations of mankind and by our own personal experience that to accomplish and maintain the fear of God requires more than a mere human-empowered commitment to do so. Still, it remains God's requirement. And we are declaring that America no longer fears God as a nation of people. And we're further declaring that because we no longer fear God as a nation of people, and friends, we're headed for tyranny. Tyranny. Barbarism. Treating one another in ways that cannot even be considered. This is the Covenanter's Call. Friends, I'd love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337, Orleans, Indiana, 47452. You can drop me an email. Love to hear from you in an email. That is the Muggion, T-H-E-M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N, at cleanenter.net, C-L-E-A-N-I-N-T-E-R.net, or give us a phone call here at the house at number 812-653-5578. If you're ever down our way, we'd love to meet you. Give us a call sometime. We'd be glad to sit you down to a cup of coffee or tea, if that's your choice, or we can probably even come up with some iced tea for you here. That's about the strongest strong drink we have in this household, but I would love to meet you. If you come down through Orleans, Indiana, and southern Indiana sometime, you're driving a truck, just traveling through, you contact us, and we would love to meet you somewhere in fellowship for a period of time. Remember, the meeting's coming up uh, 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd of September. Right outside of Etterville, Indiana, Faith Baptist Church Family Camp. Looking forward to a great time in the Lord there. Then remember the meeting that Pastor Keith Hoover and I will be preaching up there outside of Appleton, uh, Wisconsin, in uh, the first full week of October. We are looking forward to that. Hey, stay tuned for more great programming here on American Voice Radio. Always lots of things going on. I believe you'll probably hear one of the most infamous voices on this whole broadcasting network within the next hour. I hear the music. My time's up. Until we meet you get on the airway, may God bless our prayers. Have a great day.
biblical, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is the American Independence Hour for Tuesday night on the sixth day of September, year of our Lord, 2016. I'll begin with my usual disclaimer. Some people might get tired of listening to it, and on one level I get a little tired of saying it, but the point behind this is to create evidence, for one thing, and also to, it's like developing muscle memory. Most of you have heard that term, you you do certain athletic events, and you develop a kind of muscle memory where it becomes automatic. Your muscles remember what to do when you want to perform that particular that particular action. 
Well, when you make a disclaimer like this once a week or more, in theory, it helps to remember it, and it becomes automatic. Part of my uh, just, just, and these are arguments, essentially elements of an arguments that I regard as important. Um, other people might regard them as insignificant, but I think they're important. They are to me, and I can I can build on this. When I make this disclaimer, we go we we have several points here. These are not the end of the line. Each one of these can be built on. So in any case, on with the disclaimer and the creation of evidence. I'm a man made in God's image, as per Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and I'm given dominion over the animals, which means I am guaranteed by my freedom of religion to not be treated as an animal. I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights, as per the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. Paul gives us... uh, uh, a, a rough idea of what unalienable rights mean in Romans 11:29, when he says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It means irrevocable, my man. I don't know whether God can revoke them. I assume he can. Um, but mankind cannot revoke the unalienable rights we've received from God. Again, that's Romans 11:29. I'm one of the people of the state of Texas, a member state of the Perpetual Union, styled the United States of America. I have repeatedly pledged my allegiance to the United States of America. I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas. I'm acting at arm's length, which means I, if you don't have a contract with me, you have no claim on my, on my services. I'm not acting in a trust capacity. I'm not acting as a fiduciary. I deny that I have voluntarily agreed to act as a fiduciary as surety for the government of the United States. And having said all of that, and there's still a few minutes left in the program. We can introduce the co-host, which is Frank Stephan. Hello, Frank. How you doing? How's it going, Al? Can't complain too much. Did, did you just did you add that thing with Paul? Yes, I just oh, added it okay, now. I, I I thought when I looked at it, is this getting longer? And it, oh yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it keeps on. You know, like we keep joking about it, but regardless, it's not what everyone else would want to say. No, no. I'm not arguing that this is something that everyone else would want to duplicate. I'm just saying this is what I understand. Well, or should they? You know, they should come up with their own thing and if for no other reason to demonstrate their understanding. Yep. You know, because people might not think, well, big deal. What does that matter? You know, well, it matters because if you're in front of a judge and no matter how good it is, if he's heard it before, and you say it again, he is going to, at the very least, question your understanding about what you're Uh talking about. Uh But if you come in there and say something he has never heard before, or, gee, you know, that sounds familiar, but it's not the same, they're going to think, uh-oh, you know. Here comes another one. But even then... No, no. You know, the danger is they're going to say, ah, he's speaking in tongues again. (laughs) Call the shrink, get the shrink, and send him out for a tune-up. Well, yeah, but, you know, and part of what you're saying there, the shrink, I'm sorry, if I was an animal, you might be able to do that. Oh, I understand. You know, but seeing as how I am not. uh, Not only that, are you a licensed medical professional? Are you qualified to diagnose medical problems? 
If I can't practice law without a license, I don't think the judge can practice medicine without a license. Well, that's why they bring in their rubber stamp shills that come in. Yeah, but he's not there. He's not there all the time. No, I mean no, they might bring there. him in. Uh, well, they might, if they know you're coming in theory, they might have a shrink there. But that would be surprising. Generally speaking, that's their ace in the hole. Right, round when here. they say, "I think you're mentally ill, so we're going to send you off for." A 90-day tune-up and uh, well, around here, the line when you get back. Well, around here, they're uh, they're a little more cautious about how they do it. And I don't know if somebody sued them over it or not, but how they do it here is they go, okay, uh, we are going to postpone this or or mm-hmm. continue this this procedure here until you can be a you know mentally evaluated. And then they send you off to... How about a mental evaluation for the judge and the prosecuting attorney? Do we we get group rights on the evaluations? Yeah. You know, it's... uh, You know, that's a problem. It is a problem, though, because the way things are set up, and it's not unique to the United States. I mean, every tyrannical lunatic in the planet has used insanity as an excuse to lock people up. Stalin did it. Yep. Hitler did yep. it. They do it here. You know, two doctors, you're off to the nut house. Well, one other thing, though, is this. The problem is that you don't have a right that's declared in your state or federal constitution to be crazy. But you do have a, a freedom of religion that's guaranteed in the First Amendment of the Constitution. And it's also guaranteed in Article 1, Section 6 of the Texas Constitution. And at least how many of these, uh, at least the first three of these, well, the first three that I read tonight, man-made in God's image, that's a function of religion. Mm -hmm. All right? My religion is guaranteed. My freedom of religion is guaranteed. You can't call me crazy, in my opinion. Now, I'm sure the judge, if there was a judge, listen to that man is crazy. He said, I can't call him crazy. I can call anybody crazy. I'm a judge. <laughs> um, but in theory, I'm making an argument that's based on my freedom of religion, not my freedom of insanity. I'm saying I'm a man-made in God's well, image, Genesis 1, 26, 28. Endowed by my creator with certain unalienable rights, Declaration of Independence, but endowed by my creator, again, a freedom of religion claim. Remember when we uh, had, uh, I forget her first name, but her last name was Swan? Yeah, she's going to be on next week, barring the unforeseen. Oh, okay. Well, she had mentioned, and we, we had mentioned, judicial Deborah. notices. And mm-hmm. it's a, Oh, yeah. This is a good way to use, uh, many good ways, but this is one good way to use the judicial notice. If you're going to go mm-hmm. up there and you're going to say, okay, uh, my religious freedom, however you word it, that I am a man made in the image of God and I am not an animal. Yeah, goes, uh, it says given dominion over the animals. You can't have dominion over the animals if you are an animal. As, you know, as, uh, you know, and you might want to add, as the United States Code and the law uh, states. That would be the time to have your judicial notice ready, uh-huh. already put together with the relevant laws and the places where it's defined man and other animals. So you can evidence to the, you know, and, yeah. and produce evidence on yeah. the spot to the, uh, to the judge that, look, I am not crazy. Because, see, they wouldn't touch the religion part. Yeah. But if you go, I am not an animal, ah, you're... you're you're crazy. 
you think we think you're animals. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's insane. That's got mm-hmm. nothing to do with religion. You're crazy. No, no I'm not crazy. The U.S. Code's crazy. I'm just saying, hey. And so the state says. codes, yeah. most yeah. of the state codes. Well, yeah. Um, but this is a define good, this food, is drugs, how, and medical devices. This is how, and you can use a lot of ways, but that is how a judicial notice is used, is to notice the judge a relevant law. Yeah. And it's not questionable. It's not, oh, I don't, be- I, I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. Well, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's the law, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not up Can't to be state. debated. This is a notice. Yep. You know, and you can question, you know, just like we have the right of inquiry. Okay, you've been noticed. Okay, well, I, I don't understand this, this notice. That's why you try to make them as clear as you can, you know, on their face. Like, you know, you would put in your judicial notice why now here's the law here's why it says i am an animal because it doesn't say men are now deemed animals okay that's not what it says. It doesn't expressly say no. it but that's exactly if you can read english that's what it says right it doesn't use those words you got to just be a little bit just half boy clever it doesn't right. take any brains but i mean the thing is you know how court is and you know how judges are you got to you got to spell it out. You're exactly right. What makes you're you think exactly you're an right. animal? What makes you think it says that? Well, because uh, the rules of English, you might want to put that in your judicial uh-huh. notice, too. Grammar. Because you can. They are yeah. rules. Yeah. They are recognized rules. They are universally recognized. And you but you know another thing about them. Down here in Texas, and I can't think of the proper name of it, but there is a law down in Texas that is, that declares what teachers must teach to students at every grade level, all right, first through 12th grade, through high school. And they've got to have a certain core curriculum that has to be taught. And I can't think of the name of the law right now, but it's there. One of the things they have to teach is proper names and how they're capitalized. There are also rules of grammar which must be taught by law. Well, when you have grammar, it's one thing to debate about grammar and say, well, do you believe this book or that book or blah, blah, blah. Now, if it has to be taught by law, it adds to the credibility of your argument that the grammar is something we are required by law to understand. And you know what? They're required to teach it. We're at least presumed to understand it. And you know what? One of the great things about judicial notices, another great thing, is that here I am in Oregon, right? And, And I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe Oregon doesn't have that legal requirement. Okay, for judicial notices? No, for uh, you know to teach grammar and and all. Okay, that. okay, yeah. You know, perhaps they do, perhaps they don't. Yep. Let's just presume they don't. Okay, so I'm here in Oregon, and there is no such law. I can judicial notice the judge in Oregon of Texas law that shows, hey, in Texas. It's required to teach grammar. It's required to teach proper names. In Texas, it's required that y'all yeah, teach well, grammar. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, <laughs> up in Oregon or whatever, it might not be y'all, but down here it's y'all. <laughs> y'all teachers must teach grammar. That's right. But the thing is, it's as valid as any other because it's simply a notice, and what you're doing is evidencing that, look, one of the states of the union, this is required. So this is not an odd, crazy idea of mine that people understand and use the language properly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I'll tell you what to do with 
Deborah Swan's case, and I talk to her on a regular basis. In Deborah Swan's case, she's been driving the judge nuts with her judicial notices. And he's flat out told her he's not going to read them. That's fine. The, the appeals court will. I think the judge is making a big mistake, <laughs> but she has him on the record to say, I'm not reading this stuff. <laughs> I, I think he has to. I don't think he has any alternative. Um, she seems to understand what the law is on judicial notice, and she's been driving him nuts with judicial notice and the other strategy that has worked superbly. She has every time they do something, or virtually every time they do something, they make a decision, they try to hold a hearing, they try to do this, that, or the other. <laughs> she objects Yep. on the record. She objects and objects. I have no idea how many objections she's ins- inserted into this, into this proceeding. But in large measure, because of her objections, this thing, they, they expected to crush her like a tin can three, four years ago, and she's still holding them off, all right? And it goes to these objections, and at no point has the judge said that, hey, you can't make all these objections. They have effectively admitted that she can make all the objections she wants, and she's preserving them for the record, and it seems... And although she doesn't clearly understand, and I certainly don't, that objections have, you know, put the, the stick in their spokes, it appears that they can't proceed without her consent. And every time she objects, I think she's demonstrating she does not consent to this procedure. The strong implication, we don't know this to be true, or I don't know it to be true, I guarantee you that, but the strong implication is her repeated objections, objections, objections are accepted as evidence that she does not consent. And, and hearings and motions, one thing or another, she makes an objection, they seem to be, they seem to be cast off to the side. Well, now she's got problems dealing with these people. She's had 37 different files taken out of her out of the court record and and made to disappear. And the, what did she find? 183 errors in the transcript. There, there's a transcript up at the appellate court that has 150 pages, but the transcript or the proceedings to date actually carry over 300 pages. They're missing half the transcript at the appellate court. There's a lot of problems going on here, and it remains to be seen whether this is going to be a win or a loss. But she has learned an incredible amount, and she has kind of helped me understand some things. She's helped me understand a lot of things, actually. I mean, her situation, the value of objection, 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 objection. You got to have valid ground. Well, for it. what you're doing, you know, you can't just you, you know, can't just be that is stupid a, about it. That is a great two pronged uh, attack there because what you're doing with the judicial notices is you are noticing them. Here's the law. This is what you need to follow. Oh, you're not. I object. And then you're and then you can draw it right back to that and say I object because the law says yeah. you got to do this or the rules say you got to yeah. do this and you're not doing it. Now, one thing the appellate courts do is they look at all your objections, and they decide, well, did this error, because that's what they call all your, you know, because they figure your mm-hmm. objections are, you're objecting to an error, you know, either in, in, well, an error in procedure, you know, you're not following the law, you're not following the rules, you're, you know. And an error committed by the judge, if, right. I, if right. I understand correctly. The right. judge made an error. Now, the next question is, 
I'm asking you, where do oh, they go with Well, they look at those errors, and they decide, right or wrong, well, did this error affect the outcome of, your, of the final decision, okay? Mm-hmm. And if they say, nah, then, then, they, then they don't, you, they toss it. You know, harmless you know, error. Right. Might be an error, but the error is harmless. See, but the thing about piling up, you know, 300 errors or something in a, in a, in a, in a court case. Single transcript. Is to, is to go, well, look, okay, and you have to make this point to the appellate court. While any one of these errors could theoretically be considered a harmless error, in its entirety, all combined, yeah. you cannot. And that's the value of, you know, because I criticized, because I did it, I used to do it, and I found out it does more harm than good is to kitchen, what sink, does? To kitchen, to kitchen sink the judge. You know, with, okay, I'm going to think, I'm going to think of, you know, all the arguments I could possibly think of in the universe. Yes. And I'm going to write them on this, I'm going to write them on this ream of paper, and I'm going to submit that, you know, 500 pages. Here you go, judge. And, yeah. and that doesn't do you much good. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it really, I have found, at least in my experience, it didn't do me much good. It is better to pick, you know, a few of your strongest arguments and Less really, is more. really hammer on those. Yeah. You know, go to the wall with every one of them. Because you can. Because if even, you know, and you put yourself in a bad spot. Because if you give 300, okay, here's 300 reasons. You know, here's 300 different arguments. There's no way you can manage 300 arguments by yourself. Well, in many instances, I mean, I've seen the trans, I've seen parts of the transcript in her case, and what you'll see is there are a list of where this was provided by the court reporter, and claims that at sections page 17, line seven, inaudible, line nine, inaudible, line 14, inaudible. Inaudible. She'll get a string of these inaudibles. And what I think is happening, I think the court reporter ran the recording of the hearing through something like Dragon Naturally Speaking, and they make programs for, uh, you can speak into it and it'll convert your speech into text. I actually and they've got that. an expensive, pardon me? I actually have that. I do too. I've had it in the past. I've had it destroyed when I moved up to Windows 10. It knocked out two of my... Oh, wow. That dragon naturally pissed me off highly. Boy, but another they reason. Make, they, make one that's, they make one that's for reading, uh, taking legal notes, and it, it comes equipped with a legal vocabulary and blah, blah, blah. 500 bucks for the program. But I don't, I strongly suspect that the, pers- the court reporter is taking a recording and running the court recording through the computer file, and the computer has come up as inaudible, 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 inaudible. It's making the record automatically, and they're running with that rather than her using her own ears and her fingertips to create the, the transcript. Now, maybe that's true and maybe that's false, but according to Deborah, when she listens to the tape, the recording, they have inaudible, inaudible, inaudible. She really doesn't can hear it just fine. 
Well, the computer the, doesn't hear it, right. and that's why it's just being automatically inaudible, inaudible, inaudible. Well, and that, you know what, that, that right there, and I, I agree with you, I think they're probably just letting the computer do it and saying, here it is, and that shouldn't be allowed. I mean, I got no problem with them using a computer, run it through the computer, and then where it says uh, inaudible, the, the court reporter should have to go to the recording and listen to themselves. And, you know, see if they can hear. And if they can, put it in there. You know, fix... I mean, I've done I've done a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, talk into it. And, uh, of course, you know... and that's no, it's, a good, it's a great program. It recognizes program. my voice now. You know, it doesn't... Yeah. You go into court, you're, it's got a whole bunch of new voices. But the thing I is, understand, but they claim, at least in the newer versions... That it can identify third parties that haven't been, that it hasn't been trained to recognize. Oh, I, I bet they can, but you know, nothing's perfect. And I agree, and it won't be as good as the trained and voice. And the court uh, reporter, the court reporter's got no right and and no no justification. Okay, fine, then t- get Tom, Dick, and Jerry to do it for ten bucks. You know, what's yeah. this? Court reporters are expensive. Uh, actually, well, that's part of the deal. The court court reporter allegedly charged us. Uh, Deborah, over $500 to do this transcript. And I think it may be that she was charging somebody else to do it also. I don't know if the other plaintiff also had to pay for it. Deborah at least had to pay for part of it. I'm not they, sure how they, it all worked out, but 500 bucks well, was charged. And it looks like the court reporter didn't really do her job. Here in Oregon, how they do it is whoever orders it first, yeah. be it the defense or the prosecution, whoever orders it first pays one fee, which is more. Right. Yeah. And then the other party, then if they order it and want it also, they pay like half that. So whoever gets right. it second pays half. But yeah, they get paid twice. Yeah. And it and it isn't right. I mean, maybe at one time when they had to bring out their special keyboard and they came in there and they started typing out this thing and then mm-hmm. you know and that that was a lot of work. And if they you know, okay, fine, you got to. And it takes a, an extraordinary skill to separate. Because people don't, they talk over each other just like we do on radio programs. Right. And the computer is not going to figure that out, but a living court reporter might. You know, and, and right. technology is great. And if I was a court reporter, I, you know, I think that, oh, this is great. You know, because when I, when I do, uh, you know, uh, translations like that, when I'm done, okay, there it is. Now I go back over it and read it. And correct errors, because there are always some errors. You know, I mean, boy, but there's less and less. I mean, years and years ago, uh, because I, IBM actually developed uh, voice recognition software, mm-hmm. and they were the first ones to come out with a, uh, a a pretty good program, although you had to spend a lot of hours training it yeah. where you don't have to anymore. But uh, it was called IBM Via Voice. And I had that. Okay. It was pretty good after you spent about 20 hours reading to it. And, uh, you know, but then... Does it, it, it kind of go to sleep when you're told to, <laughs> you know, give it a little bedtime story and the computer starts to snooze a little bit? Is that well, happen? What happens is, uh, oops, oops, computer broke down. Now it's gone, right? You can start... Oh, now you got to tell it another bedtime story. Yeah, for 20 hours. You know, Boy, I mean, that's a sleepy computer then, isn't it? But now... Uh, I've noticed with the naturally speaking is uh, it just really is out of the box pretty good. I mean, yeah, I know. Uh, but there's still 
some errors here and there. Yeah, know? And, you know, I tell you what, it makes it a lot faster to write things for me, but I still have to go back and correct them. Yeah. You know, and, and the course, even so, even so, it's a valuable tool, but uh, I'll tell you the truth, I've had it. Off, I've had it for years. I've had one version, and then a couple of versions come out. Then I get another version. I'll bet I've had at least three, maybe four versions, and going back maybe even to the late 1990s. I don't remember when I started, and it was pretty clumsy back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it's got to a point where it's very, very impressive. Yes, very scary. accurate. Scary good. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good because um, you know, as good as it gets, you start. Then you start imagining all the evil applications this could be used in. They better not put a mic here where if I talk in my sleep, they can probably understand what I'm saying. I wouldn't even know what I was saying. Was this you? Well, it kind of sounds like me. It sounds kind of sleepy. Well, you were sleeping, but uh, you're talking in your sleep, and you said you wanted to thump Obama on the head. Uh-oh. No. no. Yes, you have to go away. You're talking in your sleep. You have committed. You have committed crimes in your sleep. Let me tell. You, let me say one other thing that we were talking about objections, and the idea that the appellate court will look at each one of the objections to see if they cause real harm to the uh, the defendant or the lit- whoever the litigant is that's complaining and is making the objection. Did the objection cause real harm, or was it a harmless error and that didn't really affect the outcome of the case? What this suggests is if you're going to make a valid objection, you probably want to explain why it would harm the outcome of the case. I don't know if you have to do it right at the moment you make the objection or later on when you when you prepare your written objection, uh, but I think you should... I'm thinking that it would be best to show them, no, this is not a harmless error, and here's why. Oh, I agree. Right? Not just say, I object, but I object because this is a serious error that affects, you know, I don't know if it's supposed to I affect the parents always, of the case I, or what. I think it's a great idea to just say, I object, this, uh, you know, whatever they did uh, negatively affects, you know, the uh, my position and the outcome, and you put it, whatever, however you word it, you put it in there because now what you've done to the appellate court yeah. is you've given them a statement that, hey, I object and here's why, and it is going yes. to negatively affect this. Now they have to say, uh, okay, no, it won't, and here's why. Well, here's one other point. They really if you say that. I object... Now, I'd object to this. If your explanation is, and I'm sure, and I, I assume you have to provide an explanation every yeah, you time do. you make one of these objections. But if your explanation is a little bit lame, if it's not very precise, you leave the door open for the judge or the appellate court to say, no, nah, I don't buy it, don't buy it. There's no, no, no problem here. It didn't cause a serious problem. It may be that a single error, apparent error in the in the proceedings, it could be objectionable on more than one basis. And if you don't get the strongest basis and say this is the one that will adversely impact the trial, the, 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 the final judgment, it may be that the judge can presume that your objection was just harmless. I think you've got to clarify saying, no, this is harmful and here's why. 
I agree. I think that can only help you. You know, yeah. I, it can only help. I don't see how it can hurt you. And again, it's like the disclaimer at the beginning of the program. My object is to create evidence. All right. I've got a history now of doing these programs for a couple of years, and I've been doing the disclaimer for, I don't know, at least half of that, and maybe all of it. I don't remember anymore. But there is a pattern, a pattern, a pattern, assuming somebody wanted to hassle me about these programs. That disclaimer is there, and they're going to have to deal with it. They, they see it. They, they cannot make certain presumptions that I think are important. I think it's the same thing with these objections. They are your own kind of disclaimer, in a sense, and you've got to explain it. You've got to, this is why, this is harmful, this is not a small thing. Well, I know I, you've got to, because if you don't, the judge will ask you why. Yeah. Because I yeah. didn't know that at first, because I thought, well, yeah, that's what I'll do. You know, I'll just object to everything. And I did. Well, once, and he said, why? And it was pretty much, well... Cause, well, that doesn't fly. Uh-huh. You know, you you'll never get an objection sustained with that. You know, I understand. You know, it's always going to be overruled. Get out. You know, what? He, stop that. You know, and I did, another dose of what he said. Yeah, I did it a couple of times, and he told me, "Look, you're going to have to have a reason, or I'm going to find you in contempt." Yeah. You know, and that's their their hammer. So okay. you, you really do have to have a reason. I just think adding that pointing that this is harmful, you know, and, and then explaining why, you know, because you're going to have to explain why you're objecting anyway. So to say it's harmful, I think, is a good thing. It, 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 it makes and it clear. specifically that it, it compromises the probability that the judge, I'm not sure how to frame it, but it's got to adversely affect the final decision in the case. Right. And it makes from it- your perspective this is unfair. This prejudice is the case. I had a I had a little oh, a little handbook. Uh who knows? Five inches by three inches, something like that, a little bit more. Might have been fifty pages in it on objections. And I had it and it's disappeared. I don't have it anymore. But it was a valuable Easy tool. I didn't appreciate how important objections were. This goes back into the 90s. I had that document for at least 20 years probably. Never really studied it. I looked at it, thumbed to it. But I get it way more. I understand it. You need to find out what are the bases for objections. And you need to, you don't, there might be 50 of them in that, in that, in that little booklet. There might be 80. There might, I don't know how many there were. You don't, I don't think you need to learn them all. But I think you need to hit the high notes, and you need to be able to pull up five or ten of them. They need to be automatic. I object. I'm based. What basis? Blah, 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 blah. All right. And you need to be able to, a uh, valuable, valuable point. And the thing to emphasize that I want to emphasize is Deborah Swan has been so effective using her objections, and the court has not threatened to reprimand. But, and the strong implication, or at least not to my knowledge, there's been no threat to reprimand her. She says, stop making all the objections. She hasn't had that. The strong implication, to my mind at least, I'm not saying this truth, I'm saying it's just the way it looks to me, is it indicates that whatever's going on in this court proceeding depends on the defendant's consent. 
And she's saying, I don't consent. I don't consent. I don't consent. She's saying I object, but that's what I think it means. I do not consent. I do not consent. And she's done it with great, great success up until now. So, Well, I think, you know, it's a valuable thing, and and, and judicial notices work in concert with objections. And those have been the two keys to her strategy. She's done a bunch of things, but those are the two fundamental, I mean, that's been the hammer and the tong. And she's used it, driven them nuts. I have no idea what she's cost these people. Um, Case dragged on for three years. They thought they'd get this knocked out in probably 90, 180 days. And here we are three years later, maybe four. I don't know for sure how long it's going on. Well, yeah, you, Somebody can dra- you can definitely drag stuff on and and even prevail. But, you know, one of the things about objections, too, I mean, having a list of objections would be very helpful, you know, as yep. a guide. Yep. Uh, but it's also important that if you're going to get involved in court, okay, it is very vital that you familiarize yourself with the court rules because that, oh, yeah. that's going to be the basis of mm-hmm. the majority of your objections. Do you know what you know what and 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 Deborah is is tangled up in the situation with electronic filing. She's prosecuting she's she's defending herself from down in Texas over the telephone to hearings that are taking place in Oregon. And the problem with this is that the judge doesn't understand electronic filing and neither does the opposing attorney. She understands electronic filing now better than they do, better than they do. And the judge has told her at one point, he says, I don't understand anything about this procedure. He said it. You understand? She has a judge who admits he doesn't understand the procedure in the courtroom. Well, she may have, that might have been a good time to say, well, then in that case, judge, I suggest you recuse yourself for incompetence. She's tried to recuse him and he's refused. Okay, I don't know what I'm doing and I won't leave. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, would, I think that's an appealable point. I would say that it should be. All right? She has complained to the to the Bar Grievance Committee. She's complaining again to the Bar Grievance Committee. Um, you know, she's creating evidence here, and we'll see. We'll see you how know, it works out. I mean, out. honestly, you know, look, if you're, you're a homeowner and, and, and you say, oh, boy, you know, gee, uh, I need, oh, I got a leak here somewhere. I need a plumber. So you call a plumber, he shows up, and he goes, gee, you know, I don't really know how to do plumbing, and, uh, you know. I don't know nothing about <laughs> fixing pipes, Miss Scarlett. I don't know nothing about pipes, but, uh, okay, I'll give it a shot. Uh, you know, sure, gonna, what the hell. You're gonna Let's pound on it with a hammer. Yeah, and, it's, hey, and, and, it's, and it's only 45 bucks an hour. Yeah. It's like, wait oh. a minute. No, 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 get out. Get out. I'm getting a new plumber. No, I, I refuse to leave. I'm going to fix this, whether I know how or not. That's basically what the judge is doing. And, you At know, 45 bucks an hour, it may take me a couple of months. I'll get a couple of books, and by the time we got this knocked out, it shouldn't cost you more than a few thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But my month is made. I got my paycheck made for the month. I hope you're doing all right. Yeah, and I refuse to leave. Yeah. You're not allowed to hire anybody else. Mm-hmm. That This is basically what this judge is telling her. I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. But I won't leave. Yeah, okay. Well, this whole thing reeks of corruption. It really uh, does. And she's done, she's done a remarkable job. And she didn't know anything about law. I mean, she has a talent for this that is really amazing. 
Um, she didn't understand anything about it. She's writing documents that are as well written as you could expect to see. You can't look at her documents and say that wasn't written by a lawyer. And she didn't know anything about law three years ago. She has a really remarkable talent for dealing with these things, uh, with, the, with this situation. <laughs> and reminds me, Aaron Brockovich, if you know the movie yeah. and you know the story that I'm talking about. She doesn't. You never heard of her. Um, but Aaron Brockovich, as most of you probably know, just the story of an ordinary woman got tangled up in some sort of a lawsuit <laughs> and wound up on the basis of, didn't know what she was doing, but on the basis of sheer tenacity, <laughs> she caused a major corporation to suffer a great loss. And well, uh, Deborah yeah. Swan is like that. She's yeah. got she's got at least one pit bull for a pet, and I don't know what the second dog is. I don't know if it's pit bull or not, but I think she's taught the dogs everything they know because <laughs> the woman is tough. Well, you know what they say. Necessity is the motherhood of invention. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wasn't planning on learning the law, but, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. And in fact, one of the interesting things about it, she's she has, uh, she's gone back, she never attended college, but she has started taking college courses in the last year or so. She's got 37 credit hours on a, on a uh, internet college uh, that hands out a real degree and the rest of that sort of thing called Liberty University. I've got 37 credit hours and she's working away at it. I don't know when she sleeps. I have no idea. Um, when this is finally finished, she may put her in a coma for 60 or 90 days. To well, rest I, up I heard a rumor that people in Texas don't sleep. No, that's not true. Oh, okay. <clears throat> we don't necessarily wake up on time, but we, we, we do sleep. <laughs> Uh, what else have we got, Frank? Let's take a look at some of the items. Oh, I don't in know. The... You you had sent something, and I you know I was reading one, and it just was making me angry. So I don't know. It probably go ahead. Which one is it? Well, the one where they uh, are having the the new public school policy. Don't tell yep. parents when transgender boys sleep with girls on field trips. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I, I I just this has gone so fast. You know, it makes me think, Al, that nothing can be put together this quickly by government, or anybody else for that matter. But in the last just year, this whole transgender thing has exploded. And the homosexual thing, what, three years? Yep. And that's not very long for no. a huge change like this in society. It makes me think that they had this in the wings, all planned, all ready to go, just push start, and, you know, everything... All they needed is somebody in the White House who was uh, sympathetic to homosexuals. Yep. And we can guess why that sympathy exists, but uh, oh, that's, that's at least part of the policy. That's at least part of what's happening. My belief is that he is a homosexual. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you. A lot or at of people least suspect practices, you know, homosexual activity, you know, uh, whatever, you know. Let's let's do this article a little bit, okay. and uh, so people understand what we're talking about. And, Here's and the headline: out there should just, you know, what it, you know, look. If you don't have enough reasons to take your kids out of public school already, well, here's one more, and you know, your excuses for putting your kids in 
public school are getting lamer and lamer every article like this yeah, that comes out. I mean, the headline is new public school policy. Don't tell parents when transgender boys sleep with girls on field trips. There is a disgusting level of contempt for parents in the modern public school system, and the evidence of this fact is all around us. Whether it's handing out condoms or implanting IUDs without parental consent, or knocking or mocking, excuse me, family religious beliefs, or attacking parents' political positions, or even in this latest move by public schools in Maryland. During a training session for teachers at the Anne Arundel County Public School District, instructing teachers on how to best support transgender students, Bob Mossier, the chief communications officer for the district, told teachers that they should allow biological boys to sleep in the same room as biological girls on field trips, and then he instructed the teachers not to tell the parents about it. Now, you know, I don't want to make light of this, but if if it meant that you could sleep in the same room as the girls back when I was in high school, I might have claimed to be transgender too. Sure, I'm feeling pretty today. Uh, there'd be a lot of, I think, that, and there'd be a lot of kids who'd want to change the name of the the football team and the basketball team from the Tigers to the Fighting Transgenderites. <laughs> uh, every, you know, this is just insane. This is insane. All you got to do is say, "Oh, I'm transgender," and you get to sleep with the girls on on field trips. In this day and age, I, and on top of which, they're not going to tell the parents that we're going to let. Boys who claim to be transgender sleep in the same dorm with the girls? Or in the same tent, or in the same whatever. I understand. You know, he uses dorm, but uh, if they go on a camping trip, it's tents. If it, you know, I mean, it could be anything. It's, you know, in the part, I mean, look, the whole thing is ridiculously disgusting, but the part that really, really, really frosts me is do not tell the parents. Yeah. That's the part that really, really, I mean, that's the time. It's not an oversight. It's no. not, oh, oh, gee, I guess we should have told the parents. No, they are instructing, do not tell the parents about it. What? Yeah. Why do you think they do that? And, you know, one of the questions, one of the interesting things about this is, again, discussing level of contempt for parents in the modern public school system. Evidence is all around us, whether it's handing out condoms or implanting IUDs without parental consent or mocking family religious beliefs or attacking parents' political positions or even this latest move by the public schools in Maryland where they're going to let allegedly transgender boys sleep with girls uh, or sleep in the girls' dorm on field trips. Why are they so contemptuous of parents? Well, I was just thinking about that as you were talking that, you know, I think that this is a great example of everything we've been talking about. I agree. Because that's why. Because they're not your kids. Yeah. You're an animal. This is your, this is your, your, you, you threw these kids. They're the farmer owns those kids. And they're the farmer. They run the plantation. Those kids are a product of their livestock and they own them. And they'll do what they please with them. Yeah. They're not your property anymore. You are, as a parent, in the existing system, 
a sharecropper. You are not. Uh, you're a custodian. You're a babysitter. You're not really the parents. They operate on the system. They're under the, they don't even say it takes a village to raise a kid. They think it takes a government to raise a child. All right. And the parents are just, you're there, just provide, make sure they get some food and water and, uh, you know, place to sleep at night, the rest of it. But you are nothing more than custodians in the eyes of the law. And you must be like... And it's a, part of the reason they don't have to tell you anything. You're just idiots anyway. Why not? And Why should we you tell must you? be a fiduciary of some sort yeah. because, oh, if the kid gets hurt at your house, you're going to jail. You don't feed the kid right, you're going to jail. Kid falls down and it breaks his arm, whether it's your fault or not, you're you're in trouble. You have responsibility, but you don't have any rights. That's it. Yeah. And that sounds like a fiduciary to me. Yeah, that's uh, that's what it sounds like to me also. They have set up a system. I've heard the story back in the 90s. I heard from a couple of sources, but one that I believe to be true, where Department of Child Protective Services went out to seize something like half a dozen kids that one husband and wife had and living on, I don't know, a farm, whatever they were doing. I, I, I don't remember all of the circumstances, but they determined that it was not an ideal circumstance for the kids. And they went out and seized six of the kids, but there were seven of them there, and they didn't want the seventh one. And the only thing the parents could see is that the seventh one had been born at home and did not have a state-licensed birth certificate. And they believed, we never proved it, but I don't, I, you know, to this day, I believe, strongly suspect that the reason they were able to take six of the seven kids is six of them had state-issued birth certificates, the seventh didn't, and they recognized that. They didn't just come in and say, grab all the kids, doesn't matter, we'll take these seven. If they've got 14 of their friends over, take them too, we'll take all the kids we can find. No, they knew. Six of these kids, they apparently knew that six of the kids had birth certificates, and they were fair game, and one of them did not have to be left behind. Well, I so, agree. I mean, I I think that there is definitely something going on, because, I mean, everybody that I know is issued two birth certificates. One comes from the hospital. Yep. Got your little footprint on it. Got mm-hmm. far more information. I mean, it's yep. got your mom's name, your dad's name. The everything, the time you were born, uh, the everything, your footprint. And then they get this bogus thing from the state yep. that's got a name in all caps, but it does have a certificate number on it. And, you know, and on, and on the back. See, on the front, you have a, you got a number for your birth certificate, okay? And that identifies your information, you know, they can type that number into their computer and your information will come up. Then there's a number on the back. And it's a stamped thing, like a certificate has. And that's not your information. That's that certificate's number. That The piece of paper is numbered. Like a note is numbered. You know, Federal Reserve notes have serial numbers on them. Same kind of thing. You know, and that's what you get from the state from the hospital has no such things like that. It's just, yeah. it's all informational from well, the hospital. And is that, that still true? I don't know. Mine was. You still got, yeah, I know, but you, uh, <laughs> you're a little on the, you know, long got, 
was still had wooden wheels back when you were born. All right. So maybe that's I, I am the same thing. I have two birth certificates. I have one from issued by the state of Illinois and I have another one issued by the hospital. And the state of Illinois certificate was not issued to me until I was something like 18. And I wanted it for for copy for a passport. Right. And I can remember but when I first, I think it was when I applied for a passport, but it might have been another, another circumstance. I took my, I took my birth certificate from the hospital down. They needed some proof of identification, and the birth certificate is one of the things they allegedly recognized. And I don't remember the, I don't remember what it was I was look, I wanted, but from the from the government at the time. Again, this is fifty years ago. But the woman there said, "Oh, we can't accept that. We don't, we don't recognize that." Yep. And it always struck me as odd. I had no idea what was going on. Same I mean, I was thing a teenager. I had no idea. They couldn't. They could only accept the birth certificate that was given by the state. Same thing. Even though it didn't have my little footprints on it, all the rest of this stuff. That's the one they could accept. See, and you were dealing with a government agency for a passport. Me, it happened to me when I was a kid, and I went down. You know, like kids do to. Well, I'm going to be a big boy now, and I'm going to go open me up a passbook bank account. Uh huh. So I took my birth certificate and I went down there, and they said, "No, we we don't. Uh, you, you know, we can't have that." Yep. And I I didn't know. I was a kid, and I'm like, "Well, this is my birth certificate. It's the only one I've got. It's you know, what do you mean?" And they told me, well, you need to contact the uh, register of whatever state, you know, Delaware here that it says, and uh, you need to contact the register, registrar of the state, and uh, vital statistics, and they'll, uh, you know, for a small fee, they'll send you one. I said, oh, okay. So I went home and told my parents, and, you know, and we sent away for it, and it came, and it was like, wow, this has got nothing on it. You know, this has almost no Let me ask you this. And I took (laughs) it down, and no problem. How did they know you are the person who was associated with that particular birth certificate? I mean, it would be one thing. You would think that you would suppose, I don't know what they did. Maybe they did. Did you have to send them your your hospital birth certificate as evidence that you were who you say you were? Nope. And then they issue a state issue? I mean, it's like I could call up and I could, in theory, I call up and say, my name is uh, Barack Hussein Obama. <laughs> send me a birth certificate. Oh, oh sure. Weird. I'm sorry, we don't have any on file for him. Well, I could, I could call Kenya. Yeah, I could call Kenya. They might have some. Oh, and by the way, uh, you know, I have found out about this since the Patriot Act. No, you yeah. can't. Uh, we can't call Kenya. No, well, you can, but you can't get a birth certificate just by telling them I want one. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, I realize now when I was a kid, even a teenager, I could I I could have created a whole other identity. Yeah. Uh, now it's not as easy, and uh, you cannot just call up and say, "Oh, hey, uh, the name. This is my name. This is the date I was born." And uh, you know, that's really about all you needed. And oh, yeah, they wanted your mom's maiden name, and uh, that's it. Oh, that, there's the proof. Yeah, that's the proof of who you really are. Your, your mom's name, maiden name. Your name, your mom's maiden name, and your date of birth. That's it, and and that's what they needed for the state. Now. You have to send them copies of other identification, like a, a driver license, state ID, something like that, and you know uh, all the other information that I just said, and you know mother's maiden name and all that. Yeah, the Patriot Act made us all more secure. 
Well, it's all, you know, a response to 9-11. Yeah. That's I mean, what that they thing... were here to do, was undermine the birth certificate system. That's why they blew up those buildings. I don't know why they did it exactly. I think, from my perspective, I mean, there are multiple things that came out of it. They have the Patriot Act came out of it. We invaded Afghanistan and and Iraq. Took over the Without reason. Well, now, Afghanistan, the United States now controls the opium supply of the world, 93% anyway. And they claim we still we're still in we still have a national debt. Yeah, you know. Now what if they're controlling all the opium sales in the world? They should be able to make up enough to pay off the debt, shouldn't they? Not the way they rack it up. I mean, uh, you know, because they're probably crying it themselves. Because heroin's you know cheap now. Uh, I I've got a uh, a host that's in New York City, and he tells me you know because he's he's an activist and he's like involved in every, a lot of things in New York and he says yeah they uh you know hero, a bag of heroin is like 2 bucks now you know just to holy get, cow yeah they get high you know what a heroin addict needs to get high is 2 bucks now they're doing a heck of a job of the war on drugs on restricting the importation of drugs into this country. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where it's coming from. You probably can't get a bag of salt shipped here from Afghanistan for that kind of money. No, no. And, and you know, it's hey, it needs to be processed, too. You know, you have to make heroin. You yeah, can, I understand. You know, it's not the straight opium, and it's two bucks. You know, it's it's gone way, way down. That's why there's... Well, I think this goes to the minimum wage thing. You know, yeah, we got to make it. Affordable. The government's going to have to raise the minimum wage for the heroin manufacturers in, I don't know, Pakistan or Afghanistan, wherever they are, and uh, the UN maybe will perhaps will be responsible for wage raising their 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 wages. Well, yeah, and they also have to raise wages for everybody else so they can afford heroin, except for the American middle class, of course. We're not going to raise their wages. In no, fact, because, no, because cut their wages. no, you know, they can already afford heroin. Yeah. So they and don't they're going to need it, and they're going to need it more as time goes by. They don't need a, they don't need a raise. They can See, I would, be, I would expect that Big Pharma, they ought to be screaming if heroin's that cheap. Well, but... Big, How much does that cutting into their painkiller products, uh, profits? Well... It, you know, opium also, you know, makes morphine, and, you know, that's a big uh, comfort care drug. And comfort care... Kind of like pizza. Yeah, comfort care is a big deal these days. People have no idea. You know, everybody tried to say, oh, that crazy, you know, Sarah Palin out of Alaska. She's just nuts. Death panels. Ha, 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 ha. Well, you can call it what you want, but they're doing it, and... Yeah. You know, I mean, when you go up and tell somebody, well, you know, we could do this and we could do that, but, you know, you're kind of old and and really, you know, what's the point? All we're going to offer you. Yeah, you weren't going to, you didn't have anything to do with the next five or ten years of your life anyway, so why don't you just give it up? Well, we'll help you. We will provide you with comfort care. That's Uh what they call it. What comfort care amounts to is morphine. They, they give you increasing dosages of morphine until they give you enough where your heart stops. And then but you're, you're very feeling good about it. Oh, you're very comfortable. It, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like modern education 
where it's not important, the new math. You don't need to get the right answer so long as you feel good about yourself. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's morphine's the same way. You don't need to necessarily survive. It's just important that you feel a lot of self-esteem and you feel comfortable. Yep, comfort care. That's what it's all about. And they just give you a little and they dose you up, 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 and you get feeling better and better and better until your heart stops. And then, yeah. you know, that's you're now you're really comfortable and that's it. It's like, you know, UN mm-hmm. peacekeepers. After they kill everybody, they're very peaceful. Well, I have more to fear from our own government than I do from UN peacekeepers. I'm not worried about them. They've hey, never won war. Hey, don't worry. Our U.S. military mercenaries are part of the peacekeeping forces. Well, they? even that. You know. there are, they're, they, they, they've got their hands full. You know, people are worried about, the, about martial law. We'll watch and see, but I'm not convinced it's a valid threat, except in local circumstances. They could impose martial law in, say, Chicago, yeah. or the south side of Chicago, or the south side of Dallas, or the north side of Dallas. I don't know. They can pick a, They can do that, but for the whole nation, I've said it a bunch of times, Texas is about the size and population of Iraq, and we couldn't handle Iraq, and we were bombing them from B-52s. In the end, we really didn't take control of Iraq. Yeah, we did a lot. Uh, did a lot was, of killing. It was all we could handle to deal with one country about the size and population of Texas. And if they came back and tried to impose martial law, comparable martial law in this country, where are they going to find the military to do it? They can handle Texas, maybe, but they're in, where, what are they going to do with the other 49? Well, and then there's the whole question of, okay, so you've got these mercenary militaries, which really that's what they are, because uh, even when I was in, in, in you know, it's 79, 82, I mean, very, very few of the people that I encountered in the military were there because, you know, they were born on the 4th of July, red, white, and blue, you know, and, and yeah, I understand I'm that. here because I want to serve my country, and that's that, mm-hmm. blah, 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 all the stuff you hear from the recruiters, right? I yep. met almost nobody in the military in three years that that, that was why they were in, okay? And, they, and there's a lot of different reasons people go in the military. Uh, that's generally not one of them. You're trying to tell me that everyone in the military is not a young hero? Yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah, I, am. I understand. You know, that was my experience also. What were you in? Well, I was in the Army, and then I had an in-service transfer into the Navy to go to Corps school. To go to Corps school? Yeah, Navy Corpsman. Okay. Deal with medical problems. Right. Huh. Yeah, I went from track vehicle mechanic to that, so, you know... I guess I. Well, that's a natural progression. Well, it's fixing things. We know a lot of people, I've heard doctors say for years the best doctors are former track vehicle mechanics. (laughs) Yeah, well, hey, it's all fixing things. Yeah, I understand. You know, and let me tell you, it's a lot easier dealing with machinery than it is people. Well, it depends on whether the machinery is in motion or not. You know, that somebody's I, driving the machinery, then sometimes the machinery can be just as much trouble as the driver. Only if it's an assault machine. Mm-hmm. And then, then you've got trouble. But I had a job as a backhoe operator one time, and I liked that job. And, and yep. then they said, well, hey, you know what? We're going to give you a 50-cent raise, and you're going to be a foreman running this crew. And I said, uh, well, geez, you know, 
really, I'd rather just stay at my job. And they said, no, because you know what? We can hire and, you know, we can find a backhoe operator. But you, you know, you've been at the company, you know how we do things, you know how we want things. So we want you doing this. And well, you're the kind of guy that all of the employees naturally dislike, so you'll be a perfect foreman. <laughs> you know, they, they basically told me it, it was the nice way of saying, look, either take the promotion or you're fired, you know, because that's what we want. So I had to do that. But, you know, I prefer the backhoe's easy. Yeah, I, I grew up. I grew up operating a backhoe. You know, you pull. My stepdad had an excavation, little excavation business, and we we're putting in water lines and septic systems and digging basements with a caterpillar and the rest of that sort of thing. I loved it. I had a great time doing it, and I can remember you talk about a fifty cent an hour raise. <laughs> yeah, I was working on a crew, sixty man crew, building road through the wilderness above ten thousand foot or near ten thousand foot altitude in the Rockies in Colorado at one point, and they paid an extra quarter or 50 cents an hour. All you got to do <laughs> is you just drag the brush. They're cutting trees down, and they're cutting the limbs off the trees, and all you had to do was drag the limbs from the trees over to the fire where they were burning the limbs from the trees, and the supervisor was hardly ever around, which means everybody just goofed off, and you could catch trout in the little rivulets that were running down off the mountain. They were only a couple foot wide, but they might be six foot deep. They were like cracks in the rock. Trout down there, you could catch them with your T-shirt on, a, and we'd cook them. We'd catch trout, gut them, cook them by the fires. And says, it was a goof-off situation, but you could make an extra 50 cents an hour running a jack leg, which is a, it's an air hammer. Right? And you have to climb up the side of the mountains, up the side of the rocks, with this, with this air hammer in order to drill holes in the rocks that you could fill with dynamite so you could blast the damn rocks down to build a road. And for an extra 50 cents an hour, I had to, I had to be one of these. I had to, I had to run a, an air hammer all day. That's fun. What, what's that translate into? Something like an extra five bucks a day to yeah, run an what, air hammer. What year, you know, I, but what year was that? Oh, that was back. Oh, let me think. 60s. See, $5 a day was yeah, a, lot, a lot different than $5 Five a day. Five silver dollars. We still had silver was still backing our, our currency at the time. Yeah, so and, that's like 100 bucks a day more. Yeah, that's actually, you're right. So maybe I was, so all this time I thought I was an idiot, and it turns out I was merely a moron. Well, yeah, um, because those jackhammers are what, 60 pounds? <laughs> oh, more than that. More than that. And, oh and they didn't. You hang off off the side of a cliff some of these instances with nothing but a rope around your waist. They didn't have harnesses, you know, or any of that safety equipment. Nah. And just hang there on a rope and try to drill holes in the side of the in the side of the uh, the bluff you were working on, the rest of this sort of thing. It was it was great work and a lot. I loved it, you know. But it was also just yeah. Well, crazy, uh, dangerous things, and, and it's amazing that, you know. But then again, you know, you look at projects like the Hoover Dam. I mean, yep. I mean that's an incredible bit of uh, engineering and construction because, I mean, the, you got that thing is still standing. Yeah. And it was built, what, in the 30s? Yeah, it's 80 years old or more now, going on. 
Well, uh, and in the, or in the 30s, they didn't have, you know, the, the, the equipment we have today. I mean, they all their all the cranes and there were no hydraulic cranes. Mm-hmm. They were all with cables and and you know, elect you know motors that pulling these cables to make everything run. It, it's just I watched a documentary about building that and a lot of people died, uh, yeah. making the Hoover Dam. But it was golly, I mean, it was quite. And they are just buried and encased in the concrete. They didn't stop pouring if they fell off. The side, and they fell into the concrete. That's Oops. where they stayed. Nobody slowed anything down. Kept on pouring. Too bad for you. Goodbye. Yep. Next. Do you ever, do you ever see any of the, uh, the construction work on any of the films for building the, the, uh, the Panama Canal? No, uh, not really. No. Steam shovels. Yeah. Steam shovels. Uh, right? Machinery with a steam engine. And the steam would, it wasn't hydraulic in the sense we think about backhoes and rest of that today. It was steam pistons, all right? And there was no, you just, it was almost just on and off. And, and, that, and that shovel, it just, bang, crashed down onto the earth. It was like using a giant hammer rather than an excavation device of the sort you think about today. But uh, it's impressive. Well, and, and, and you know, see that kind of construction, a lot of people died from the mosquitoes. Yeah, thing. you know, and people think, oh, God golly, we're so advanced. We're so, you know, we're just so smart. We're, we've got such great equipment. We do such great. When was the last time the, uh, the United States undertook a project like the Hoover Dam or a project like the Panama Canal? Or yeah. even a project like the Empire State Building. You know, I mean, when was the last time? You know, they were they were doing a lot of these things. I mean, while Hoover Dam was going on, they were building skyscrapers. They were building other things. They were building bridges. And we're just not doing it anymore. We're not even maintaining the things we have. I know. It's Why do you think that is? Because maintenance is the first thing to go in cuts. Is, at least that's been my experience. Yeah, I'd say so. I read that's a, part uh, of it. I read the other article. thing is when they were building the stuff you're talking about. Uh-huh. A lot of that stuff was built perhaps during the Great Depression, certainly during a time when labor was cheap. There was a big influx of immigrants coming into this country. Labor was cheap, and you could build these things with really a minimal amount of money. Well, now um, today, okay. you need to pay. You know, you well, need to pay people. Minimum wages and one thing or other like okay. that, and it, it tends to inhibit. Let's just say you got to pay everybody ten bucks an hour. Uh, <laughs> that would mean I'd get a five dollar an hour raise. Yeah, me too. But the thing is, it's like, okay, well, let's say twenty dollars an hour. All right, that's a good job now. Twenty bucks an hour—that's not a bad job nowadays. But. People were making here in this... Especially valley. if you can get two of them so you can make 40 hours a week. Well, sure, because you can't have 40 hours at the same job. Two part-time, $20 an hour jobs. Well, what what did the idiot son Bush say? Oh, three jobs? Well, isn't that uniquely American? <laughs> you know, I mean, what a moron. To, 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 I understand to say that. something like that. It's like, you know, you can at least acknowledge that, wow, that's too bad. You know, we need to do something about that rather than... Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I remember what you're talking about now. Someone made the comment that they had, and they they talked to Bush in the public situation, 
I made the comment they were holding down three jobs, and he thought that was great. Oh, uniquely American. You need, you need four. One more when you, instead of sleeping, we're going to get you a job. I you mean, could be <laughs> a dispatcher on a railroad train or something like but that. My, my point is, like you were saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, for a measly $5 a day. Yeah, but that was back in the 60s when that was, you know, an ounce of gold was a dollar. Well, no, an ounce almost, of silver was a dollar. Uh, right, an ounce of silver was a dollar. Ounce of gold was ounce of gold. We didn't even, bucks. you know, you couldn't uh, buy it. Thirty-two, but it wasn't in circulation per se. You could right, but pick the, it up at a coin store. But thing is, silver's almost twenty bucks an ounce now. I understand. You know, so when you say, "Well, gee, you know, labor was cheap." No, I know. Paying people twenty bucks an hour nowadays is like paying what? What paying them what in nineteen, say thirty? Well, it would be about a buck an hour. I don't know. That doesn't seem very... 20 bucks today? That seems like cheap... It sounds like pretty cheap labor to me. It was, but it was prosperous, and that was the thing about it. I remember my first job was 85 cents an hour. And people today, you look at it and you think, how could you even... Why would anyone work for 85 cents an hour? It's 85 cents of silver per hour. This is when I was like 7th or 8th grade. I was making 85 cents an hour. That's 85% of a silver dollar. Today, that would be like 16 bucks, 17 dollars per hour for an eighth grader. Yeah, not bad. Sweeping a floor, sweeping a floor in a Blau Motors. I remember that was. And it was only, I only worked a couple hours a night after school. Well, at, right? that, at that kind of pay, why, yeah, why work oh boy. A buck sixty-five, a dollar seventy a night. You'd think today it wasn't worth walking over. Yeah, it was. You know, for a kid in particular, I was doing fine. Well, see, and that's part of the problem why people don't realize how badly things are. You know, how I bad understand. things really are because they think, well, look at those poor slugs back there in the 60s making only 85 cents an hour. Look at us now. Look at us now. We're making $9 yeah. an hour minimum wage. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that $9 is worth about uh, what 20 cents used to be worth. Half an ounce. Half an ounce of silver. That's what we're talking about if you're making 9 bucks an hour. I was making... Point eight five, and you were uh, eighty five hundredths of an ounce of silver per hour. I bet they were paying the adults more. Oh, sure they were. You know, sure they were. I mean, but back then, five bucks an hour was big money. Yeah, big money. Yeah, but it was five silver dollars. Today you get fifteen of them if you got minimum wage. So what? It's three quarters of an ounce of silver. So the thing that. $5 an hour back then was uh -huh. like the equivalent of today making $100 an hour. Yeah. That's, you see, that right there should get people's eyebrows moving around and their head thinking and them going, wait a minute, you know, something ain't right here. Yeah, and what it is is you've got fiat currency, which allows the government to cause this constant inflation. You hear the ads on the program we do in the afternoon every day. The dollar has lost 95% of its purchasing power since since we went off the, uh, the international gold standard in 1971. In 40-odd years, the dollar has lost 95% of its purchasing power. A $20 bill today is worth a, five, a $1 bill back when I was a kid. You know, I can remember, you know, you get a birthday card and somebody gives you five bucks. Whoa, boy. You know, that was big money. And compared to today, it really was. Well, and so, what fiat currency really, 
I mean, it does a lot of different things on a lot of different levels. But what it does for Ma and Pa America, just out there on the on the street, living their lives, it's stealing your stuff, stealing your savings, stealing your it's labor. Diminishing. It's yep. stealing your labor. It's stealing everything else you've got. It's mainly, it's mainly whatever you're working for right now. If you're working for five bucks an hour right now, you get five bucks an hour. But if you are saving a dollar out of that five, and especially if you're investing it in something like U.S. bonds, the government is going to pay you back only a fraction of what you invested in terms of purchasing power. Take out a bond and suppose you had enough money to buy a $10,000 bond. If we have 10% inflation, the government will pay you $10,000 when the time comes on that bond, but it'll only have $9,000 in purchasing power after 10% inflation. You know, and, and if they can cause more inflation than that, you'll, have, you'll be robbed of even more. Unless you got one of those cool, newfangled negative interest bonds, then you don't even get that. Yeah, I know. You can pay to have that bond now. Woo-hoo! I know. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, this stuff like that makes me wonder i mean i realize more and more people are actually waking up and they're realizing okay something's wrong and they are trying to look and find out what exactly is wrong and more and more people are doing that every day however there is a huge mass of people out there i really really wonder about when they say things like oh hey guess what we've got this new really cool idea it's called negative interest rates Yep. Oh, negative interest rates. Yeah, okay, that sounds all right. Yeah. Oh, that'll work. How yeah, about, that'll work. How about we just call it a fee instead? Because it's not a negative interest rate, it's a fee. Yeah. I'm paying you now. Yeah. That's I'm a paying fee. somebody else. I'm paying somebody else to lend money to them. Yeah, a fee. Here, I'm going to pay you 5% interest if you will accept my the money I'm lending you. You don't pay me interest, I pay you. Yeah, I oh. call that a fee. And people go for it. People go for it. See, that's the point. I mean, on, on, on country after country. They say, oh, yeah, this is reasonable. You know, people are really, I know they're waking up. I know that a lot of people are waking up, but there's a lot of them that I don't think are ever going to wake up. At least they're not going to wake up until the whole thing falls down around their heads. Too late. Yeah, well, if they survive, they'll wake up and they will begin to understand something about money other than just how to count it. And that's all most people understand is how to count the money. Let's move on. I got another one of these links up here. Hillary Clinton. (laughs) This is from Natural News. This is uh, one of the links I said. It's just interesting stuff. Headline is Hillary Clinton taking rat poison as a prescription drug. Humidin. Plus Parkinson's and narcolepsy medication. Uh, This is Natural News. Questions about the health of Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton continue to swirl, and it's not because of deranged conspiracy theories, as as the Clinton campaign has claimed. Recently released emails by the whistleblower website WikiLeaks plainly show that Clinton looked into a medication it is used to treat sleepiness and Parkinson's disease, and it is an and is an ingredient in rat poison. In August 2011, Clinton sent an email to a close aide and confidence, Cheryl D. Mills, that included the text of an article: "Do you suffer from decision fatigue?" 
The writer discussed how people in positions of authority and influence can often incur decision fatigue. That's something you and I well know, Frank. You have, you've, uh, I'm sure you suffer from decision fatigue. Like, shall oh, yeah. I get up this morning or shall I sleep in? That's, a lot that's, of different, that's, that's where I get my decision. I, I have a lot of different fatigues. Yeah. I don't well, like we to, all, I don't we all like have. To, I don't like to limit them just to decision. You're just not getting enough rat poison in your yeah, diet. Well, you see? That's yeah. what it is, I'm sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, this allegedly leads to low on mental energy and cause them to be, cause people to become low on mental energy and cause them to become reckless while acting impulsively, as reported by InfoWars. The story goes on. Hillary's taking rat poison, uh, you know, in small doses. I don't expect she's going to grow a tail or anything like that, and I don't expect a rat poison. Unless she already came with a tail. Maybe so. Maybe that's what she's hiding under those bizarre pantsuits she wears. You know, it's one of these things where if Hillary had any shame... She would just simply say, look, I'm not physically fit to do the job. Her, her insistence on being elected president of the United States is like me insisting that I get to play center for the L.A. Lakers. I ain't good enough. I ain't got game. I don't belong on the team. And I have at least enough sense and humility to say so, but Hillary does not. And one of the things that becomes almost attractive about Hillary is her refusal to admit her own flaws. She just sits there and looks you in the eye and say, Hillary, you've got two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. And she says, no, I don't. No, I don't. And she will deny whatever it is you say, and she just insists you're wrong, and she's not lying. And, and there is a point in time when it almost becomes admirable, her ability to simply defy reality and say, no, 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 no. See, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. You, you're using words like attractive and, and, and the other I know, one. and yeah, in the same sentence where I refer to Hillary Clinton, I, know, I understand I'm, I'm, that it's a kind of blasphemy, but I'm becoming uh, concerned. Uh, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I I didn't think I'd. Hear well, maybe that. I need a bigger dose of rat poison. I'm not getting my I'm not getting my daily minimum my my minimum daily requirement now, of rat poison. The interesting thing here about this about the uh, uh, rat poison and and I'm not sure I didn't read the on down here, but uh, they talk about taking it for sleepiness and Parkinson's disease. Yep. But it's already been documented that she is on Coumadin, which is a blood thinner because of her clots and all the, you know, her passing out and all that stuff, right? Well, yep. Coumadin is uh, warfarin, which is a mm-hmm. rat poison also. Yeah. So I don't know if they're referring to that or if they're referring to something else that uses rat poison for Parkinson's, uh, you know, because... When you say, well, you know, she's... You know, how stupid can you be? If you're just taking a little bit of rat poison, maybe it's not... Maybe it'll be all right. But if you're taking several medications... It it increases your appetite for cheese. (laughs) That's the problem. You go out for dinner and you just want a big block of cheese. I don't want steak or lobster. and Just give me a big block of cheese. Well, you see, then I... I, Maybe I have been taking enough rat poison because I like cheese. Anyway, this woman is uh, obviously, and and I mean that obviously, uh, it is not arguable. It is self-evident that Hillary Clinton has some serious health problems. And the way they're playing it is 
is just incredibly dishonest. Uh, it's ridiculously dishonest. I know. And they just go right in your face, and you keep telling them the truth, and they just look at you and lie and say, no, no, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. You know, it's hard to resist that after a while. They talk about Hitler and the big lie theory. It's not just the big lie, it's the persistent lies. I think ordinary people, you get bamboozled. They keep telling you enough lies, and I think ordinary people are just, well, you know, you don't think they could be lying, do you? No, of course not. No, they uh, wouldn't have said it this many no, times if they were no, lying. No, they must be telling the truth. They, you know, no, they wouldn't uh, say it every single time. But it does day. work for her. It works for her. She is a contender for President of the United States, even though anyone who cares to look at this can see she's basically a crook and uh, and sick besides. I mean, if there's ever been, I mean, she is probably less qualified to be president, all things considered, than George W. Bush was. And that's saying something. That's saying something. <laughs> I mean, there's another one. <laughs> you know, she's... Good God! And here we sit, and we're going to have an election. Yeah, I know. It's it's I, I just I've been amazed since I started paying attention because I every election it seems I go well, not this one though because now I've I've learned after a lot of times. But well, yeah, this has been a bad president. But you know, certainly the next president can't be any worse than this. Oh yeah, every single was... time I've been wrong. Yeah, nope, me too. I was convinced. I mean, I liked Bush when he first ran for office. I liked what he had to say. I knew Cheney was doing his thinking for him. He wasn't that bright, but I liked what he had to say. It took me a couple of years to realize this guy doesn't. He just says the words. He doesn't do what he's talking about. And I came to where I despised George W. Bush to the point where if he was across the table, if I could get to him, I'd do what I could to strangle him. Yep. All right, now, I know I could try, i say the words, but I'm not kidding you. I was, if that guy was in the room, I'd go for his throat. Yeah. I but <laughs> I was convinced that no matter what they did, they couldn't have a worse president than George W. Bush. Yeah, well. And so when Barack Obama came around, I thought, well, all right. You know, how I thought, bad could it be? Yeah. Hey, yeah, right. We just how went stupid through Bush. can I be? <laughs> how, bad how stupid could I be? Well, you know, the whole country kind of, uh, really... I think George Bush made it possible for Obama to be president because, really, you weren't the only one. I and Obama made it possible for Hillary to be president. Well, or Donald Trump. I mean, we look keep at, betting look, it can't get worse, and as, I don't know. As much as you know, given the choice, okay, there's just no way. I don't care who runs against Hillary. I'm for them. Yep. You know, I agree. That's just, that's just where I'm at. You know, but. I can't honestly say, oh, Donald Trump gives a good speech and he says some things I like. He also says some things I don't like. I mean, he's about 60-40 on that. But yeah, I know. The, the thing is, in a normal world, under normal circumstances, there's no way Donald Trump would have been considered a, 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 a serious, legitimate presidential candidate. Yep. No way. No way. Just he was not part of the. Uh, he was not obviously part of the political establishment, and that was the essence. And he seemed to tell the truth. Yeah. He was candid. He would come out and blurt things out. Yay! Yay! He's telling the truth. <sighs> he reminds me. Back in the 1980s, 
I I hosted a little community access TV program in Dallas. And they had a real studio and TV cameras and the rest of that, and you had to get volunteers, and they'd just let you produce these programs. Well, I'd invite people in for guests, and they'd appear on the program, and they were impressed by the by the circumstances, and they thought this was a real TV show, but we were broadcasting on something like Channel 32B. You know, back in, this yep. was in the 1980s, nobody watched this program. The only people who saw the program were the cameramen, whoever was working in the director's booth, and me. All right? But the guests didn't know that. They said, ooh, we're going to be on TV. I had two judges on the program one time. And I was polite. I was not trying to be, you know, annoying and the rest of that sort of thing. But I'd ask them a question, and they'd give me a standard answer. And I would come back and I'd say, well, if that's true, what about this and this and this? And I could see that they were just shocked. What kind of That I would come back and question. And what I came to understand is that Judges, after you've sat on the bench for a while, you are so used to people, you say anything. Tell them the earth is flat. Yes, boss. Everyone will agree with whatever the judge says. And the judge, once he gets on the bench, he loses his capacity for significant thought. He's used to everybody. said, yes, boss. Yes, boss. Whatever you say, boss. Anything you say, be honored. Well, they were astonished when I had follow-up questions. They had spoken. It was like Moses coming down off the mountain. I got ten. Ta- I got ten. I got two tablets and ten and ten laws. And some people said, "Well, wait a second. Don't you think we should have an eleventh and a twelfth? And what about you know?" Uh, Moses would be astonished. The judges would be astonished. Um, I don't know what got me off on that, but the idea that well. I, I, I have no idea why I started down that. We still have public access here, too, and it's, it's kind of the thing, and it's only on cable TV, and it is on uh, channel, you know, whatever uh, that nobody watches. And uh-huh. and, and this is what they, uh, they actually, and I think it's a good thing. Of course, I don't have cable TV, but uh, every commissioner's meeting is telecast. They actually put camera, uh-huh. they, they, they permanently mounted little cameras in the ceiling of the room they they meet in. And I know this because I noticed them in there, and I asked, what are those? Because they're pointed at the commissioners, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so this is not surveillance, unless somebody's surveilling them. Uh, What are those? And they told me, well, that's the public access set that up, and uh, uh, they broadcast the... uh, you know the meetings, and they, mm-hmm. which is great for public access, because you know they want to make sure nobody sees these meetings. So that's the place to put them. Well, hey, it's on TV. What more do you want us to do? They should have the same thing in courtrooms. Yes, they should, and they should have it on the internet. Every courtroom in the country should be. If there's anybody in the courtroom, there should be a camera running. They should have a motion detector set up. Where if the janitor comes in to sweep the place out, cameras go on, and you can pick up courtroom, you know, and there's 62 no, and there's no excuse, on the Internet. There's no excuse not to. I mean, now hey, you... Oh, don't tell me there's no excuse not to. 
If you're railroading people and you're ignoring the law, you don't want public to see that. But you'd never say that out loud as your excuse. No, but you can see it if you're watching. Right. You know, the, one of the things... There's no legitimate back, excuse. Yeah, no legitimate excuse. I'll go along with that. Because, back you know, nowadays, day, nowadays there's so many platforms. Because you had mentioned YouTube. You know, I had said, well, we're, you know, we're simulcasting on YouTube, and you had sent me an email based on an article, you know, that YouTube's going to start demonetizing, you know, stuff they don't like to hear. That would mean you make even less money than you do now. Well, you know, I didn't, uh, I figured I'd, you know, tell you, because it's real simple, that it doesn't affect me because I'm not monetized to begin with. Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of like Obamacare. Well, you're yep. going to pay a fine if you don't buy Obamacare. Yeah, if I get yeah. a tax return... Uh-huh. I'm going to be, you know, you're going to take it out of my tax refund, yeah, if I get one. But uh, if I don't, you're not getting any fine, yeah. you know. And that's the same with YouTube. That well, at well least huff, for and, now, huff and blow your house down. At least for now, that's what YouTube is doing. They're saying, well, okay, if you're going to talk about things we don't want people to hear, we're not going to pay you. Yeah. You know, we're not going to take your channel down, but we're not going to pay you for that because we don't want to hear that. Um, you know, and... Now there's so many different platforms out there that where you can host, you know, it's almost like uh, Shoutcast, like audio, you know. I yep. mean, you could set it up at your own thing. There's no legitimate excuse for these government places not to have cameras in every room of that building broadcasting 24-7 on the Internet. I understand. You know, they're really... Back in the day, before we really, before we had television in particular, and even before there was significant radio, it was a fundamental form of public education and, enter- and entertainment to go to the courthouse and see what was going on in the courtrooms. Yep. And the pews were filled, and they were at least typically filled. And the result was ordinary people, they learned a little about the law. Ordinary people could see if the judge was treating people fairly or unfairly. They could see if there was something going on that was crooked. It was a great civics lesson, people went down as a form of entertainment to see what was happening in the courtrooms. Today, the courtrooms are empty. Yep. There's nobody in there but the judge, the litigants, the lawyers, the bailiff, and the uh, court reporter. Typically, there's nobody in the stands unless they're in the pews unless they're waiting, get this one out of the way, and then it'll be my turn or whatever. Yeah, they're there to say goodbye to their family members. Mm-hmm. That are what going they should the do court. is it should be video, yep. video recorded and it should go out live where everybody can see what's going on. And if you want to watch, you can see from your home. You just turn it on and watch Channel 32B. You can catch reruns of my community access program from back in the 1980s, maybe. Actually, I don't think you can, but uh, I don't think anybody would want to, but regardless. <laughs> but it should be that way where people keep an eye on the courts and the judge understands that he's always subject to being observed. I think we talked about this maybe last week. Sure. Going into court, and if you're just kind of hanging around the courtroom, the judge gets anxious about this. Oh, bring it. What's this guy doing here? What's this guy doing here? Bring a. I mean, uh, I've had that happen. Bring a clipboard. Bring it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Take notes. Take notes. <laughs> Another know. one is bring a bring a uh, bring a a briefcase that's made out of aluminum. All right. <laughs> It looks like government-issued briefcase. That's another one. Oh, 
oh, my God, they're spying on me. You know, that is one of the things. You know, the government has to be, they have to be as paranoid about being observed as a lot of ordinary people are. We are concerned that, who knows, somebody's spying on this program right now. Somebody has ter- secretly turned on the camera over my, over my, uh, my monitor. And they're watching me as I do the program and recording me and reporting on whatever it is I had to say. We get a certain amount of that paranoia that goes on. We wonder whether we're being observed or not. However much paranoia you and I and the audience might experience, those judges probably experience even more. Judges, county commissioners, city councilmen, because you want to see empty? Go to a a county commissioner's meeting some weekday morning. You know, yeah. I mean, there's nobody. Mm-hmm. Maybe one or two people. Maybe nobody. Yeah. The only time they're full is when government employees get half a day off to go down there to watch one of their colleagues get some bogus, you know, uh, award or something. At least around here, you know. And, and well, that's when that's when you can do the most business is when nobody's watching. And the funny, when everybody's there, you have to be on your good behavior, but if there's nobody watching, then maybe not. And the funny thing is, at least here, and I learned this, and uh, it, it wasn't a happy day for them when I learned it, because uh, what they put on for the public, you know, that county commissioner's meeting, is is just a show. Yeah. The work gets done behind the scenes, and then they come out and kind of agree to it. Is that what you're saying? Well, they have a county commissioner's meeting the the day before, at least here. It might be different, but I, I bet they're doing the same thing. I don't know if it's the day before where you live, but I'm sure they're doing the same thing, where they have a meeting, and it's the county commissioners and county council, and that's where they hammer out what they're going to do in the public meeting. That's where they have their arguments. That's where they have their disagreements, if there are any. And that's where they exchange bribes. Well, that's where that's where, or the, at least that's where range the for the at. bribes to be extended. That's where the action's at. Yeah. Well, I found out about that meeting, and I read the law, and I also found out that any time these guys have a quorum, it's a public meeting. So I showed up one day to it. And they said, oh, you can't go in there. And I I had the, the law printed out with me because I figured yep. they'd say that, you know. And I said, oh, yes, I can. It's a public meeting. I'm the public, and I'm going in there. Or you call the sheriff. No, no, go ahead. But you got to be quiet. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, there's no questions. Did they offer you a bribe while you were in there? No, no. Don't you think that's discriminatory? I do. Uh, but if, I think if they're going to be handing out bribes and the public is there, the public should get them. It's kind of like a party favor or something like that. You know, it's funny you mention that, though, because I showed up, oh, I don't know, every every time they had a meeting for probably seven, eight months, right? And I was a real thorn in their side, right? I just, you know, I I, <laughs> even, I got smart. I, I started reading the, the rules and everything, and they go, okay. You know what? And back then, I think they knocked it down to three minutes, but it, it, at the time, it was five minutes. Okay. Yeah. Everybody who got was there, you could get up and address the commissioners for five minutes. That was your time, five minutes, and then you had to sit down. Well, I learned that you could also, okay, so if I bring five people with me, 
And we all, then they made it where you, okay, you got to sign this if you want to talk. You know, you got to put your name down. Okay. So I bring five people and me, and, uh, okay, we all sign up to talk. So I get up for my five minutes, and they go, that's it, that's it, that's it. You can't talk anymore. Your five minutes is up. Thanks for coming. Now go sit down. Thanks for playing, and here's your Ginsu steak knives. Right. So then they call the name on the next, you know, the next name on the list, and the guy stands up and says, I cede my time to him. And I get back up and go for another five minutes. Till the next guy, oh, my time's up. I sit down. They call the next name. He goes, I cede my time to that guy again. And you get you get to talk. I understand. Yeah, they hate I understand, they, they and they it. must hate that when oh. you start out using the rules to outfox them. Oh, gosh. They, they, they were upset, visibly yep. upset. And, and you mentioned bribes. I wouldn't call it a bribe, but uh, <laughs> one of the commissioners after, I don't know, probably six months of this said, you know, said, hey, you know, why don't you get on one of our uh, uh, advisory boards? You know, and then he had one in mind. He says, you'd be good on this advisory board, whatever it was, right? And I'm like, well, uh, I said, is that a paid position? He goes, oh, no, no, it's all volunteer. I said, now, nah, pass then, you know, because I'm not working for you for free. Yeah, you know, I come down here once a, once a week to give you my advice already. Yep. I don't need a committee to do this, you know. And, and so they really do try to work. You know, if you're going to be a real pain they try to co-opt you. I know. They try to I get understand. you on board. They will try all kinds of things. And and it's just, these are not an easy group of people to to get under control. Yeah, you got to give them credit. They're like Hillary. Get her, give her credit for persistence. All right? She's a royal pain in the ass. She doesn't belong anywhere in public life. And yet she refuses to deal with reality and... And somehow convinces millions of people I know. to also disregard reality. Yeah, I know. It's, it, it's okay, well, well, you know, but I believe uh, she would be the most destructive thing that's ever happened singly to... I don't even know how long she's going to last. Oh, me either. I think she might get herself elected and she might be forced out of office uh, within six months. I don't know if that's true or false, but it's not. It wouldn't surprise me. I think what you got to pay attention to is who is her vice president, because I have a hunch if she's elected, he's the one who's going to fill out her term. Well, if his name is, says anything, it's not a good thing. Kane? <laughs> yeah, okay. Kane and Abel? Yeah, well, hmm. Kane was the bad guy. From my recollection of that, yeah, I remember. Yeah, but you know, it's it's I I don't know. Now, what do you think about this? Because I've come to the conclusion. Now, Hillary has a lot of health problems, but she has something that happens over and over again, and it's these coughing fits. Yep. And I've been watching these things, and they they happen. There's so many videos for different places of this happening. What I have concluded is that it always seems to happen in a circumstance where somebody or some group is asking her questions. And as the questions come, here comes the coughing fit. 
Well, gee, Hillary, uh, what about uh, the Benghazi thing? <laughs> For five minutes. You think? I think it's me, a fake. You think she's faking it? I do. I think she's faking the cough. I think. I think she may have the first time it was a real cough, but I think the minute she realized that she could have a coughing fit and throw off her questioners. Now, and that doesn't mean everybody says, oh, let the poor woman go, let's not ask her any more questions. But you know how it is when you're in the middle of, like, you're going to interrogate somebody, right? You're going to interview yep. them, and you're on a roll. You, you have a, a rhythm. You've got a thing. And then all of a sudden, everything gets disrupted. And now, basically, you have to start over again. See, that's a disruption that it, it doesn't, and, and not only does it disrupt your questions, it disrupts the people hearing the answers. Okay? It diminishes the impact of the question and the answer. With an interlude, here's the question, and then five minutes of... <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. comes the answer. Nobody remembers what the question was. You I know? had a friend. Yeah, it's, it's disruptive. And I think she does it on purpose, and I think she does it just to disrupt questioning. I don't know if I'm not I'm not inclined to think she's doing it, faking it intentionally, at least not all the time. All right. I'm inclined to think it's legitimate, although what triggers it, it might be faking. I don't know. But I can tell you, I had a friend who wrote a book, Never Fear the IRS Again. He was here in Dallas. And I'm trying to think I, I haven't Richard. I think it was Evans. And I should be able to remember his last name, but I can't. And he passed on. Oh, good, 10 years ago now. And uh, he had serious coughing fits for a period of, I don't know, several weeks, anywhere from two to six weeks, I don't recall clearly. But I was around. We'd go out and have lunch once in a while and the rest of that sort of thing. And he'd have these coughing fits, and they were something. I mean, they were serious. Uh, it was like it was going to blow his head off or something like that. And... Uh, something up in the nasal passage and the rest of it. I don't know what all happened there. But I remember he had these coughing fits, and then he had a tremendous stroke that very nearly killed him. And they held him, they kept him alive for a week or 10 days, but uh, eventually the stroke finished him off. I heard later that that coughing actually is a signal that I, a stroke may be coming. And I see Hillary doing this, and I wonder if the same thing might attract, might apply to her. Well, you know, they have claimed that uh, Hillary Clinton has uh, what they call micro-strokes, mini-strokes. Yeah. You know, ongoing, like, you know, not on a regular basis. Like, she, it's not one or two she's had, that she has many of them. You know, on a, you know, I wouldn't say every day or every week or every, you know, not on a schedule or everything, but she has had several mini strokes already so yeah maybe the coughing is a sign of that but uh hillary clinton is such a liar and a thief and a murderer and a crook that i don't put anything past her if a, no i wouldn't put anything this is, past woman, her. this is the woman that can actually sit straight faced in front of congress and say 80 times i don't recall yeah okay and now now that is impressive i understand that and that's what i'm see see 
Now, I, I was saying the same thing before. She is shameless, and she will stand there and just deny, 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 deny. And you got to, she, you know, the average person, after a while, they just, they kind of wear down. They, 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 they don't want to keep lying about their crimes. Oh, right? I, you know. They might lie a little bit, but then, oh, all right, yeah, I did it. Uh-uh, not Hillary. She's not going to admit it. They send her to hell, and she'll be down there. The demon says, hey, admit it. You did such and such. I did not. I did not. I deny. I deny. I don't recall. <laughs> I don't blah, recall. He's going to be driving Satan. He's going to be out of his mind. He says, somebody get this woman out of here. <laughs> yeah. Who let you, know? you in here? <laughs> We're going to send you to the real hell, lady. Yeah, somewhere. People who don't, don't admit their offenses. The place where you're by yourself so the rest of us don't have to hear you. Or maybe that's what makes hell hell. I, I had a friend of mine, he passed on also just in the last two weeks or so. Man, you're having a, you're like having a... Well, you get to that age, it's, it's, it used to be your, all the, your friends were recently born. Now all your friends are recently dying. Well, um, unless you're... Gets you talking to yourself, but... Unless you're Clinton, you know, then you don't have to be even older. All their <laughs> friends die, too. Yeah, I know, and not uh, not from necessarily natural causes. No. But he would be—he's been disposed, deposed a few times in his life. He, at one point, he was a millionaire, and uh, not big time exactly, but yeah, he's worth a millionaire. He did okay, and uh, he, you know, played fast and loose. And he was a businessman. He graduated from Harvard, got a business, business uh, degree in business from Harvard, and. He'd go into depositions when he was deposed as a corporate executive, and he would bring cigars with him to smoke in the depositions. <laughs> and he had some brand of cigars. I don't remember the name of it, but they were soaked in urine. Oh, man. All right? <laughs> and he would light up one of those urine-soaked cigars and start huffing and puffing. And the deposition just ended. That was all. He shut them down. They just couldn't. The rest of them couldn't stand it. He started puffing on that cigar, and they just—that was it. Get out of here. Probably have to take their suits out to be fumigated or whatever. But uh, uh, what can I tell you? Oh man, hey, you know. But that, and you know, I've been in depositions. I've been questioned by police. I've been, you know, uh, exa- you know, uh, on in the stand on uh, in court cases and stuff, and. You know, it's a tense, it's not an easy situation. And to sit up there and stick to your guns, whatever they are, is not easy. And it's like, to sit there and say 80 times, you know, knowing full well everybody in the world knows what you're doing. Yep. You don't care. I don't recall. You You can think you know what I'm doing, but you can't prove it. As long as I stick to I don't recall, you can't prove I don't, I do recall, and you can't prove anything else. I'm not helping you. I don't recall. I'm pretty sure you need two witnesses to a particular fact in order to make it stick in court. And if if you and I are in a situation where you're making allegations about I've done something wrong, I think you need a second witness in order to make it fly. I think all you've got is prima facie evidence. I could be wrong, but I think you need a second witness. But the way the system functions is they try to trick me. 
All right. If you were making a complaint about me, you say I did something. I'm trying to trick me into making a, a concession, a confession, an admission. Yeah, I did that. I become the second witness against myself. I oh, suspect yeah. that's how things may work. And so if you just say, I don't recall, I don't recall. I mean, that's classic for any of the gangsters and thugs and the rest that I don't recall. <clears throat> they can't get you for perjury. Because no one knows what you remember. No one knows what you recall. And if you say, I don't recall, who's going to deny it? He says, he's lying. I know he remembers it. How do you prove that? You can't. How do you prove I remember something when I say I don't recall? You can't. That's why that is a perfect answer to anything that you, you can't say, you know, oh, no, because if, you, if the answer is yes, you're lying. That's perjury. Yeah, I know. Can't do yeah. that. I don't recall. I don't recall, and then there's no perjury, and what are you going to do if you need the witness to be the second witness against himself? And that second witness theory, that's personal notion, don't know that it's true. Oh, and everybody, I have about a 70-80% confidence. You know, and everybody in the world roughly correct. who sees somebody doing that knows what you're doing. When you say, oh, yeah, I, I understand. I don't, recall, I, don't. I don't recall. You know, everybody knows. The judge knows. The prosecutor knows. The Congress knows. Everybody knows what you're doing. But yeah. you're going to do it anyway because if you stick to it, yeah. like you said, they can't prove anything. How can you prove what somebody remembers? How many people do you think you can ask, you know, a significant fact about their life in the last six months or even a year? And they would say, I don't recall. I mean, somebody got thumped on the head. Somebody's car went in the ditch. Somebody's, there was a, there was a head-on traffic uh, uh, accident at the corner of 45th and Maple. How many people unless they've had brain damage, could truly sit back and say, I don't recall, I don't recall, I don't recall. Idiots recall. But here we have shrewd attorneys, people who uh, are habitually faced with these kinds of problems, and they know, I don't recall, I don't recall. It's all a lie. Well, but you can't do anything to prove it. And so uh, they skate. And even in, and in Hillary's case, they don't just skate, they run for the presidency of the United States. This is one of the most extraordinary elections. This is the most extraordinary election I've ever seen. Yeah, me too. I've never seen another election that was anywhere close to as bizarre as this one has been. The only close, the, the only one that even, and it's not even close, okay, but it, it, that I can even think of that even could qualify would be back when Ross Perot ran and uh, Bo Greitz ran. And, you know, it, there were, you know, there were several people running. Mm -hmm. and, and they were actually on a lot of ballots, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, wow, oh, well, this is different. But nothing like this. This is just, I mean. No, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, when Ross Perot ran, think what you want, but Ross Perot was a credible candidate. And he brought fight. It was and it, in a sense, yeah, it was a little bit confusing. We had three candidates running, the rest of that sort of thing. Three credible candidates or seemingly credible candidates running. But it was not embarrassing. You didn't say, well, we've got a gangster, huh, a, a buffoon, and uh, some wacko from, you know, a third party. No, it was all credible. It at least seemed credible. This, this is an embarrassment. This is like, oh, my God. Yeah, and if what happened to this country? What happened to this country? 
Um, and it's not just the politicians. No. Something's going on with the people also. And we are not doing a good job at protecting this country. Well, We're not doing a good job of preserving it. Um, what do you th- why do you think that's happening? Well, why I think it's happening, and I know a lot of atheists and everybody else out there will laugh and, and point fingers and think it's a big joke, but uh, I think the something going on is the end times. And I think, you know, everything that was spoken of in the Bible is happening. You know, there's people that, you know, are just never going to get it. They have, yeah, shut their, they have shut their heart and their soul to the Lord, and they are going to be just <laughs> out in the wilderness. They're going to be Nimrod, the crazy man eating dirt yeah. out, in the, out in the desert. You know, mm-hmm. that's where they're at. And nothing's going to save them because they made their choice. You know, and it is a choice because, you know, I wasn't born, oh, you know, the government's corrupt and uh, the police are uh, violent. No. You know, I wasn't born that way. No. You know, and, and for a certain amount of time, hey, when I was, you know, I had an opportunity to go to Finland with my mom. I was 15 years old, and we, we had an opportunity while there to take a ferry from Helsinki to, at the time, it was called Leningrad, which is now St. Petersburg because it was the only open city in the Soviet Union, you know, that, that we could go to. So, you know, she's like, well, hey, you want to go? You know, and I'm like, no, no way. I'm not going over there with the commies, you know. <laughs> you know, I was completely, hey, I bought into the Cold War. I completely I bought into the evil empire whole thing, you know. And uh, But, you know, then when I started seeing facts, I made a choice to follow the facts or... Just shut them out and say, you're all crazy. They're the evil ones. We're the good ones. We wear the white hat. They wear the black hat. It's simple. That's it. But that's not true. Yeah. You know, it's simple, but it's not true. No, I know. Maybe that's why they call stupid. And it's, you know, part of the reason for that, I would guess, is that you were prepared to be a young hero. You really believed in this country. You really believed in its institutions. You might not have known what was going on, but you're ready to lay it down. And that kind of motivation makes you, when you find out, wait a second, this is a bunch of crapola. An average person doesn't mind. They're not ready to play young hero. But I was ready to play young hero, I guarantee you. But as you begin to look and you begin to see that contrary to all your imagination and dreams and expectations, that this system is nothing but a giant racket. Yeah, I think it's because you were once a true believer that you become an avowed dissident. I think right? that's probably true because, you know, look, being lied to is one thing. You yep. can say, all right, you lied to me, big deal. Okay, I'm over it, right? But if you betray me, yeah, that's a different story. Yeah. I may yeah. never get over that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the thing. And my dad, I mean, he made it very clear. I mean, he didn't ever tell me, go, go ahead and lie to whoever you want. You know, he didn't say that. But he made it very clear, don't you ever lie to me. Meaning, look, I know you're going to lie, because everybody lies from here and there. You know, in your lifetime, everybody's told a lie here and there. It's just going to happen. But he made it very clear. Yeah, I know it's going to happen. It better never happen with me. Because of that whole, look, you're my son. You know, you lie to me, 
I take that as a betrayal. Yeah. You lie to somebody else, dad, this business, don't take it personally, right? You know, that whole thing. But betrayal is a whole other level of uh, just... It becomes motivating factor. It's not just a fact. It becomes a motivation. Yeah, it does. I'll tell you what. I think we are down to the last 40 seconds or so of the program. So we've got to thank everyone who has stuck with us and listened to the program. We'll be back next Tuesday. Hope you'll tune in at that time. Deborah Swan will be our guest, scheduled to be our guest at that time. We'll find out what further adventures she has had. Hey, i got to tell folks. If you didn't hear her the first time, you should tune in next week. Uh, yep. you'll, you'll be you'll be glad you did. Thanks for having me yep. on. Al. All right. Thank you. Thank you, folks, for listening. Uh, again, we'll be back in a week. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, and Frank, co-host and producer. Good night. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com or simply call 316-619-4886. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Shanahan, and this is the Condition Critical Show. This is my live show for Tuesday evening, the 6th day of September 2016, five minutes past the 8 o'clock hour. Again, this is uh, my my new time slot has been for oh, about a month and a half, kind of liking it. Well, at least I get to still talk and say things, so there you go. Again, Tuesday night live show, 6th of September 2016. You're listening right here on the American Voice Radio Network. That means you should go to the AmericanVoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com, ladies and gentlemen, and you should do that. That's the website for this network. If you want to get into the chat room, and perhaps the reason why the chat room isn't as active as it used to be, it could be a lot of reasons, but I think the sign-up procedure is there's uh, there's an additional step in Frank, if you could correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I think you have to email Frank. And you can't just do it directly through the uh, WordPress uh, website itself. You have to email him, I believe, your email address and perhaps even uh, the name that you want, and then he will activate you, and you will be able to then get into the chat room. So I suggest you do that. Beyond that, there is a donate link at AmericanVoiceRadio.com. That's the most important thing. And you should go there and donate $5 because Frank would appreciate it. So would I. I have a website, ConditionCriticalShow.com. You should check it out. I have a blog. I try and stay as active on there as I can. I got lots of thoughts rolling around in my head. I actually have 
a blog post rolling around in my head right now that I may touch on why I may try and start uh, a little bit this evening so I can maybe talk about it on my show tomorrow uh, because this week starts my uh, week where I will be on two nights a week. So I will be on tomorrow night, Wednesday night at 8 p.m. as well. Okay, if I missed anything, call in number 1-800-932-1980, all that stuff. If I, if I missed anything else, uh, well, just call in or or or, or not. <laughs> so let's just, uh, there's a lot to cover. And I'd say it often that, you know, I'm not on uh, every day. It would be ideal, you know, but I have a full-time job, and I really would like to be on uh, every day of the week. I mean, that, that, that's kind of my goal, really. I mean, that might sound like, I don't know, weird or whatever, but that's really is. That's my goal. I enjoy what I do. I think I'm getting better at it and so forth. And that, that is my goal is to be on five days a week. So, but I'm not. And so as a result of that, you know, the news passes, you know, it's in, it's a, the, the news cycle is, is very quick and things happen. And so there's a lot I, I really want to cover. I, I can't. And some of the stuff I, that I want to cover, uh, you know, I kind of look at it. And actually this week I've been helped out because uh, I lost all of my emails. And that's kind of how I store my news articles. And some of them I really wanted to talk about, but they're gone. And you know what? I didn't stress about it. It's no big deal. Because some of them were a week and a half, some two weeks old. And and so, hey, Melissa, how are you? It's good to see you. Uh, and so and it, so it's fine. But there are some things I want to touch on that are very relevant uh, this evening. And maybe the, let's just kind of just get right with it here. And I really want to talk about this Hillary Clinton thing. Frank and Al just really covered it pretty well. I have my own thoughts on this. And I got this, you know, they're just kind of loose up in my head there. Here's the thing, first of all. Here's a couple of, here's a couple of observations that, that, that can't be ignored, and they can't be discounted just completely out of hand, and they can't just be like poo-pooed as people like to say, oh, that's nonsense. Hillary Clinton has some serious health issues. And I'm not a doctor. I'm just a truck driver. But she has some serious health issues. They talked about her coughing fits on the, the, the show just previous. She had uh, two of them very recently. She was in an event in Cleveland, and you can, it's on YouTube, and she just started having this coughing fit. I'm not of the persuasion that she's faking these because, I, I, again, I'm not a doctor, but it doesn't seem like she is because, you know, you can fake coughing, but, when you, but then when you try and talk, you can tell she's clearly there's some respiratory distress going on there because she can't, you know, she's, she's trying, she's got, there's something going on. And, and now I'm just a truck driver, so beyond that, I can't diagnose it. So she had one there. And now she has this private plane now. You've seen that, right? She has a new campaign plane. I mean, hey, wouldn't it be nice that we could, I would like to just buy a plane to fly to work or just fly around. But, you know, I don't have a foundation. I don't have, like, the Jay Shanahan Foundation where I can, you know, solicit donations from the uh, king of Bahrain or the prince of uh, Chintar, you know, and I can go out and buy, like, a, 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 a Gulfstream 840, you know, twin uh, double overhead cam. Uh, jet, right? Ain't happening. But she can do that. But the thing is, she, and this is where she's kind of started. Apparently, she gave her first press conference, and it was like either on the plane or like in the back of the plane where the press area is or 
or on the tarmac. I, I wasn't clear on where it happened, but apparently it was her first press conference in nearly 300 days. Lo and behold, she started having a coughing fit, and she kind of, kind of, and you could see, and you could tell she was in distress. It was, and if she's faking it, and she's a pretty good liar and a deceiver, and she's very cunning and clever and all that. But some things, I don't know. My point is, uh, she's she's clearly got health problems. Okay, and that's just the coughing thing is just is just apparently one of the health problems that Hillary Clinton has. She's got, obviously, many others, concussions, possible strokes. Uh, she has a balancing issue, it appears. Uh, you, you could see if you watch the, the Cleveland event, and it mostly it was just her trying to recover from coughing. She has to hold on to something, it appears. And, and, and you know, I, the reason why I started noticing it is because there were, there's some other videos out there where it's, you know, they're trying to, to, to kind of illustrate how, look, I mean, she, she clearly is, is unbalanced and, and so forth, right? And, and so you can watch her as she turns, she has to hold on to the podium. And then if she turns to, to the other way, like to look over her shoulder that way, she, she uses her other hand and, and, and holds on to the podium. And she's always looking for a means to kind of balance herself. It appears. Okay, so she clearly has health problems, and I guess the, what I'm trying to say is here, and, and, and she's, she's not healthy. Okay, bottom line, she's not healthy. And it's becoming somewhat clear to me, or it's just a theory. This is the kind of the point I was wanted to make, and this kind of was rolling around in, in my head the last, like, day and a half, okay, is that because you – like Frank and Al said, they were saying, I don't think she's going to make it. She might make it six months. And then, uh, what is it, Tim Kaine or Tom Kaine, the vice presidential uh, candidate, you know, he's going to take over and so forth. Uh, now, this is just a theory. So she's got these health problems, and they are very serious. And it, it appears to me that I'm just wondering, you know, because Al said, why doesn't she just drop out? Why doesn't she have the, the dignity to just drop out. And that, well, that's because she's insane. Okay. That's why it's, it's because she's insane and, and, and she's, you know, devious and, and all that sort of thing. But at the same time, could it be that maybe she's being now, now maybe she's being pushed by her own like regime that, that she created. If you catch my drift, I mean, Maybe at one point she was the head of the monster, but the, the head's so sick now and, you know, and so, you know, con- contaminated with, with whatever sickness and corruption and, 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 and all of this that, you know, it's almost where she can't function. Look, she doesn't do press conferences. She doesn't really answer questions. Apparently she can't because she co- has coughing fits and so forth. And even if she doesn't have coughing fits, she's a flat out straight up freaking liar. Okay. And, and so I'm just trying to, I'm trying to formulate this as, as I'm talking, you know, that uh, maybe they're just, maybe now here's, here's see, maybe now, you know, they're pushing her so much, you know, think about this now, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Now you really need to, to think about this and really consider what I'm about to say because I, I, I wouldn't have considered this two months ago, certainly six months ago or a year ago, and that is where they're looking for a means to 
not just throw the election, but to not actually have one, okay? To not even actually have the election, right? So follow me. You got two candidates, and all of they talk about, all is the, the, the basic narrative out there is that Hillary Clinton's the most qualified. Uh, and, and, and Obama made it a point to say that. And he said it, re, he has said it repeatedly that she is the most qualified candidate to ever be president. Her husband, Bill Clinton, has recently come out and said that he can't think of another person that is more qualified to be president than his wife. On the other hand, uh, Donald Trump is incompetent. He doesn't have the temperament. He's ill-tempered. He's, he's, he's everything negative. He's uh, unfavorable. Nobody likes him. And look, all that's tripe. That is all bunk. And we know this. Okay. And so, so what they're doing is they're pushing her now to her grave, essentially, because the woman's not healthy. You can see she can barely walk up a flight of stairs. Um, I, and don't look, I, I despise the woman and she should be hung by the neck until dead. That would be more humane, I believe, or putting her in front of a firing squad. Now, obviously, both after her speedy trial for treason. OK, because that's what she deserves. So after her speedy trial for treason, of which she will be found guilty, she will be stood blindfolded and, and, you know, with a wall as a backstop and be shot dead by a firing squad. Or she could be hung by the neck until dead. That, to me, would be more humane, I believe, I believe, than kind of what I am starting to believe what is going on now. And that is that they are pushing this, this woman. They are pushing her now to, into her grave. And they, they are. And it's, it's kind of interesting to watch how they are doing this. I mean, we're supposed to, uh, you know, treat women different, and we're not supposed to bully them, and we're, you know, and all of this. There's all this, all be nice to the girl thing, and, and, and don't be that way to the girls. And you know how it all goes. You, you get the, the, all of that. You've heard it all before. But yet, look what they're doing to this woman. Now, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying she doesn't deserve it, because she's brought all of this on herself over the last 40, 45 years of her life, where she's been nothing but a, a, a dirt bag. And that's just putting it mildly. Okay, so again, let, let's just stick with the, the, the possibility that they're looking for a means to, to not have this thing, right? So they push Hillary into her grave, okay? That, I think that that's kind of, you can kind of see that, I think you can see both scenarios very clear, I believe. If you really take the time and look at it, the woman's not healthy, coughing fits, and she falls down, and she can't answer questions, and, and her, you know, sometimes it, look like she's, it looks like somebody just shone, like her shined a big spotlight in her face, and she, whoa, you know, and she's like dazed and confused, right? That's what they, that's what's going on with Hillary. And again, with Trump, you know, he's an idiot and he's incompetent and all this other stuff. Right. So, and, and, and he's widely unpopular and nobody likes him and it's unbelievable. And, and you got Republicans abandoning him, whatever, you know, uh, what's his name? Jeff Flake, uh, the, the douchebag Senator from Arizona has, he's been in the news a lot lately. And I mean a lot lately where he's not going to support Trump and he just can't and all this. And you have, and it's just a scenario where, okay, 
Hillary, at the end of the day, we're getting close to this thing, right? So the 11th hour is going to be Hillary's obviously not – she's not going to be competent to, 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 to be president. Even if she wins a general election, the woman's not healthy, she's going to die, right? So we can't have the election not just based on that, but based on nobody wants Trump because he's, because he's Donald Trump and all the things that the media is saying about him, right? So what's the uh, outcome or what is going to be the conclusion of that or what, how's the, so then what's going to happen next? I don't know. Obama stays in there, perhaps. Now, he's given no indication that, that he really wants to do that, although, although he has come out and said, and this was about a few months ago even, not six months or a year ago, he has come out and said that he plans on staying in Washington, D.C. after his presidency for a time. He has already come out and said that. Now, is that like some kind of a precursor? Like, well, he's already going to be here. Now, look, this is all just, you know, just just idle talk. I'm not even going to say it's conspiracy talk because it's not. Because all this is really a distinct possibility, I believe. And again, I wouldn't put anything past, you know, the powers that be. Because if you look at all everything that's going on in the world, and you have to really look at what's going on in the world because it's what they've created. You know, things are... Things are collapsing. You know, their whole system that they've, that they've been trying to put into place for the last 75 years, people are starting to reject it. Not so much here, uh, like forcefully here, as, 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 as has been going on in, like, say, Europe and, and, and other places where you've been having riots. Look what they're doing in France now. You have a, a, a nearly nationwide, and I just read this this afternoon. I have the article in front of me, so I don't want to misreport it. But you have this trucker strike going on over there. And, and they're, they're planning on this being, like, long-term. These truckers are saying that they're in it for a, of a long haul <clears throat> uh, because they of this, mi- this one migrant camp. I, somewhere in northern France, I believe. And again, I don't have the article in front of me, but you can just Google this stuff. And these migrants are harassing the truck drivers. They're stealing things. They're raping women. Uh, they're they're uh, assaulting uh, physically the truck drivers, and they're damaging equipment. And, and so forth. And you've seen these videos, too. Okay. And so you have a lot going on throughout the world. You have, you have countries like, uh, who was it just recently, North Korea, going, screw you. We're going to go ahead and, 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 and test our uh, ballistic missiles because uh, we think they're going to come in handy because of the lunatics that are in charge over there in the United States and so forth and, and in, in, in Central Europe and, and what have you. And so, you know, these globalists and these powers that be, they really do. And I'm not saying that it's 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 a it's complete or it's you know we've won that the globalism is 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 on its deathbed, but globalism's starting to get you know the monster that is globalism is I think starting to come to the realization that hey man uh, it's no more you know it's no more uh, we're going to advance this thing you know, just with good rhetoric. And that's what they, that's, that's, that's largely, at least here in the United States, how they've advanced globalism, globalism with their, with their fancy rhetoric. And, and you can hear it from the Democrats and you can hear it from the Republicans too, by the way. Okay. So let's not make no mistake here that both parties, both parties are involved in, it gets back. I've gone over, you know, this before the establishment is both political parties, Republican and Democrat, and then the media. And look, I'm going to switch gears here just for a second because uh, I think I made my point there. I was watching, and I don't do this often, and I saw a snippet 
off some news program, and they were given a snippet off, I think it was either Deface the Nation or Meet the Depressed, otherwise known as Face the Nation. Remember those? And they're still on on Sundays or whatever. And then uh, Meet the Press or whatever. I forget which one it was. And they had Chris Christie on there, the governor of New Jersey, and the, whoever the, the guy was on this Deface the Nation program, whoever he was. And they're asking, and, and he's just grilling Christie on Trump's uh, building the wall thing, right? Well, what do you think? And, and they're just grilling. Do you think that's a good idea? And he's blah, 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 and this is racist, and blah, blah, blah. And Christie's like, hey, man, look, I don't want to talk about that. What about Hillary Clinton and her, uh, her, you know, whatever her latest scandal is in the emails? And that's what he was trying to talk about. He was kind of advancing that. And this moderator, or there wasn't a moderator, he was like the, uh, you know, the guy, right, the talking head. And, he keeps going, well, okay, well, let's just get back to, to Trump. So do you think it's a good idea to build a wall? And Chris Christie just finally said, what are you talking about? He said, everybody thinks it's a good idea to have border security. Why do you keep going back there? What? And I'm like, and I only watched like a second of it. Not a second. It was more like a couple of minutes. But I'm going, I don't get it. Who doesn't think that, you know, having a border and guarding your border, who doesn't think that's a good thing? Well, the globalists don't think that's a good thing, okay? And so getting back to what I was talking about here just a second ago, the globalists, the globalists are, are, are starting to see that, hey, man, it doesn't matter how, you, how much, how many illegal aliens you can bring, you, how many more thousands of savage Muslims and, and the little brown bastards from Mexico that you're going to bring up here. And, and Hillary Clinton just came out recently again and said, these are good people. And, and, and Donald Trump is just disparaging a good, hardworking people, and that's going to come back, and he's going to regret having said some of the things that he said. And I'm like, you ignorant Winch. People are starting to reject that. They're starting to reject globalism. Frank and Al talked about uh, building uh, the Hoover Dam and how we used to build things. And, and I'm like, that's right. We did used to build things. We used to have factories, too, where we built cars and where we built washing machines and, and where we manufactured soup cans and where we manufactured bicycles. And we had all of this infrastructure. We had roads that weren't crumbling. We had bridges that, you know, you had to, you know, cross your fingers and wing in a prayer and just hope you made it to the other side. Otherwise, you're in Davy Jones's locker. So we had all of this stuff going on as recently as 25 years ago. Well, maybe longer than that. Certainly in the 80s, there was still some of that going on. But that doesn't go on anymore. In this country, we don't make anything in this country. What do we make in this country now? Public school teachers, that's what we manufacture now. And so just to close this out, because we're getting close to break, and I'm going to I'm gonna really shift gears in the second part of the program here. I want to talk about Chicago. And uh, apparently they just had another, 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 I don't know, uh, what do you want to call it? Another gold star murder-filled weekend on the streets of Chicago. Unbelievable. Hold on. Uh, well, Melissa, I see you in the chat room. And I think you're, I see you're going to check out. Well, uh, it's good seeing you in the chat room, Melissa. You take care of yourself. Anyway, let's continue on. I got a couple of minutes before the break. Look, guys, the reason I brought up the media and meet the depressed, and then there was something else I was watching, uh, you know, 
and I don't, again, I don't watch TV, but, you know, in the lunch break room or whatever, I, they'll maybe have CNN or they'll have something on, and I'll watch it. It's, and look, I switched radio stations, you know, for traffic reports because the other one is so blatantly biased. It's tr- it's it's a it's one Trump story after another. Trump did this today. Trump did that today. Never nothing about Hillary. Nothing. I mean, what's the worst thing you can accuse Trump of? He said he wanted to build a wall. Are you kidding me? And Hillary Clinton has this email for the scandal that just won't go away. Why? Because that's real. It really happened. She did it. She did it. She, and she's lied about it. And it's not a small thing. It is not a small thing for what she did. It's a big deal for her to say, well, I didn't know. And it's, isn't it great how she throws people under the bus? Oh, well, people knew about it, you know, or, uh, hey, I told them. Or, hey, uh, my subordinate told me I could do it, so it's not my fault. Or, I didn't know what the word C meant. Well, I, to me, the word C, as it refers to Clinton, means something entirely different. And you can figure that one out for yourself. But for her to say, oh, I didn't know. She was the Secretary of State. And, and, and all they can do is, is keep going back to Trump. Oh, he said he wanted to vote a wall. He's such a racist. Are you kidding me? And they're going to keep harping on that. If I were Trump, I would dispose of it. I would dispense with it and tell him, go to hell. Okay, you just go ahead and forget it and you just wait and see. What are we talking about here? We're going to build a wall. Like I said last week, there should be a wall 10,000 feet high with all the talk and all the, the, the rhetoric about building a wall. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I see we're getting close to the break here. And I just want you to consider some of the things that I've just, you know, presented, because I think it's really a distinct possibility. Number, number one, Hillary Clinton is not healthy. She is not going to make it. She is unfit on many levels to be the president. And the way that they're demonizing Trump, when it comes down to the end of the day, I think they're going to be able to say Hillary Clinton's not fit. We can't have the ele- election for those two reasons. She's not fit and nobody wants Trump, which is a lie, which is a lie. It's something that the media is trying to manufacture every day on every, every network. They're trying to paint him. It's one thing after another that makes, that it has no basis. And nobody really cares. What, a wall? Or it's, he, he said Trump University. Who cares? He's saying things that actually mean something. Has said things that actually would mean something and make differences to everyday people's lives. I hear the music, ladies and gentlemen. I will see you after the break.
Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
Oh, well, that was abrupt. I take it that the music ended abruptly. Welcome back. Second half of the Condition Critical Show. A little bit of Iron Maiden there covering Jethro Tull's Cross-Eyed Mary, along with 80s heavy metal band Riot. It is now 41 minutes past the 8 o'clock hour. My live show for Tuesday evening, 6th day of September 2016. I'm your host, Jay Shanahan. We'll close out the administrative stuff at the end of the show uh, because I wanted to uh, get into what's going on in Chicago. I don't think I saved the – I thought I did, but see, let me see here. Ways in I thought I saved it. Let me see. Maybe I did. Let's see if this is the one here. I want to talk about Chicago, and there was one particular article uh, that I wanted to – uh, talk about is this the one? Give me one second, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, I love this. Is, now this is the latest one here. I guess I could start off with this one, but uh, I don't want to start off with that one. So let's just go back uh, and see if I can't find the one I was looking for, ladies and gentlemen. Again, as I said, I lost. Here it is. I lost all my emails, so I had to search for this article, and here it is. Okay, so we all know what's going on in Chicago, right? And and we, at least we all should, because it's been being reported on that they're having the worst year. I mean, every week sets a record for the amount of shootings and homicides, by the way. And, uh, you know, this week or this past weekend is no different. They set another record, and I'll get to that. That'll be the next article. Here's the headline. Chicago searches for answers to stem, stem surging murder toll. And I'll just read from the article. But, but you know... You can maybe just kind of guess what they're going to blame it on. You know, if like if I had to ask you to guess just by just reading the headline and I had to say, can you just guess? Can you give me like two or three guesses as to what they're going to? Yeah. You know, what do you think that, that the powers that be, you know, the police chief and, uh, you know, the mayor and the, the president and all these people, politicians. And lo and behold, Jesse Jackson is involved in this. And so let's just get on with the article here because. It's unbelievable. Headline Chicago. Yeah, exactly. It's all them states that don't forbid. Yeah, exactly, Frank. Well, let's just start off here. After the city's most violent month in over 20 years, civil rights and community leaders in Chicago are grappling to find answers and even looking to President Obama for help to stem the bloodshed in the nation's third largest city. The grim death toll of 92 murders in August marks a low point and what has been a difficult year for the nation, nation's third largest city. A difficult year. You know, when I'm having a difficult time, it doesn't usually involve murder. You know, I don't know. I don't know that they would, I think they would want to maybe reclassify. But see how they do that? I mean, you've got, what was it again here? 92 murders in August. Not for the year. That's just the month of August, ladies and gentlemen. And they're, they're calling that the, 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 the difficult times. I would think those 92 people would think it's more than just a difficult time. Already the city, now here, check this out. Already the city has recorded 474 murders. And now that was as of this headline, which is dated two days ago. So what are we looking at? The, uh, what is that? The, 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 uh, the, the 4th of September. So it's up now. I think it's. I think you've got to add like 15 or more or 20 to that. That's the next headline or the next 
news article is going to point that out. About 47% more killings than Chicago tallied at the same point last year, and more murders than New York and Los Angeles combined. Not Topeka, Kansas, and Tupelo, Mississippi combined. Uh, not Timbuk 7, Indiana, and Timbuk 8, uh, Wyoming uh, combined. No, ladies and gentlemen, New York, the largest city in the country, and Los Angeles, probably the fifth or fourth or maybe second largest city in the country. I don't know how, it, uh, the, the, how they, they go numerically anymore by largest city. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm not having a coughing fit, by the way. So let's continue on. It's the most murders in Chicago. It's the most murder Chicago has recorded in a single month since June of 93 when the city tallied 99 murders, according to police department data. Back then, the city was grappling with gang warfare in the midst of the crack cocaine epidemic, and the city recorded 855 murders for the year. That would have been 1993. Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson, listen now, has blamed the recent surge in killings on increased gun act, or gang activity and gun laws he says are too weak to be an effective deterrent. Okay, there, uh, Chief Superintendent Eddie Johnson, Chicago Police Department. He has, now this is a direct quote from him, the gun laws are too weak to be an effective deterrent. Well, you can't have any guns there. It's illegal. How much more stringent does that need to be? Guns are illegal. Zero tolerance. Can't have them. So now what? Where do you go from there? How do you get more strict than that? I'm, I don't know. I'm just I'm curious. How do you get more strict than you can't have any? Got to reach for my water. Give me one second. Okay. Sorry. Pardon me. Let's see what Frank posted in the chat room in 2014. The whole state of Oregon for the whole year had 81 murders for the whole year, ladies and gentlemen, in 2014. Wow. Oh, wow. Or is that is that true, Frank? Is that that's that's astonishing. 81 for the whole year in Oregon. How are them gun laws down there in Oregon? Well, Oregon's a pretty gun friendly state. Albeit you have places like Salem and and probably Eugene Springfield area and certainly Portland that are very anti-gun, but as a whole, just like up here in Washington. And so are we. And as Frank is pointing out in the chat room, Oregon is a shall issue state. That's for concealed carry purposes, meaning you go out, do the background check, and if you come back clean, they have to give it to you. There's no, well, nah, never, nah, psych, you're not going to get it. That's what a shall issue means. Yes, and it's an open carry state. The same up here in, uh, up here in uh, Washington. We are an open carry state as well. Up here, and I occasionally, and when I say occasionally, I mean like rarely. And it's only because I don't have, and I have decent holsters, but I, I, I just, I just, it just doesn't work for me. You know, but I have open carry, and I don't have a problem with it. I, I don't. I have no problem with open carry. Let me continue on with this article. Now, again, I want to just reiterate, because I'm running out of time, that the chief, this, uh, the, the chief uh, Chicago police superintendent named Eddie Johnson has blamed the recent surge in killings and increased gang activity. Well, that's always been there. When they say increased gang activity, that's, that's bunk. They always have gang activity. It's really never increasing. In fact, sometimes it, it probably decreases more than it increases. 
Now, hey, I'm not a, a police statistician or a crime statistician, okay? That's just my kind of general observation. In other words, there's always gang activity, so it's not really necessarily increased. That's always there. But to say that the, the gun laws are too weak to be an effective deterrent, really? Well, that doesn't make any sense there, you idiot. Quote, the historical cycle of violence we have seen in some communities must come to an end, Johnson said. He further went on to, quote, repeat gun offenders who drive the violence on our streets should not be there in the first place. And it is time changes uh, to the, it's time to, and like, and it's not, you know, how these aren't written right. And, and it's time to change the laws to ensure these violent offenders are held accountable for their crimes. I agree. But it, you, we know how that goes, especially, now let me just continue on before I commentate. So it continues. Police note that the increase in gun violence in Chicago is concentrated to about five police districts on the south and west sides of the city. The neighborhoods are predominantly Amish and suffer from deep levels of prosperity. Well, wait a minute. Let me, let me start over. Police note that the increase in gun violence in Chicago is concentrated to about five police districts on the south and west sides of the city. Those neighborhoods are predominantly, okay, not Amish. They're predominantly African-American and suffer from deep levels of not prosperity, but poverty. That's what I meant to say. The vast majority of murder victims and assailants are on the police department's strategic subject list. Now, there's a link to that, by the way. Interesting, I'm not going to click it right now, but they have a list, and it's called the strategic subject list. I thought we weren't supposed to profile people. I thought that that would be racist. A predictive roster that department that the department generates by crunching arrest information, gang affiliation, shooting patterns, and other data to determine people most likely to be involved in a shooting. The list includes about 1,400 people. Hmm. 1,400 people in a city of, I don't know, a kajillion? Seems pretty simple, or it would seem pretty easy to go out and round those guys up. It's only 1,400 people? They just don't want to. Johnson cited a yet-to-be-published analysis cited by researchers at the University of Chicago Crime Lab of 2015 murder numbers in a city that found nearly 40% of those arrested last year for homicides had previous arrests for gun crimes. No, you don't say. While Johnson and Mayor Rahm Emanuel have spoken out about the need for tougher gun laws to deter habitual offenders, some activists and politicians said the issue won't be solved until federal, state, and local officials, uh, officials create jobs and other opportunities in the most violent, plagued neighborhoods. Well, see, that's what Trump's talking about. That's why he was just in Detroit recently. He said, man, I'm here to listen. He had Ben Carson with him, and Ben Carson said, hey, you know, this was once one of the most prosperous cities. His hometown, he said, was just as recently as 25, or certainly 30, and certainly 50 years ago, was one of the most prosperous cities on the face of the earth. But not anymore. It's a, it looks like Beirut. If you look at pictures of Beirut, Lebanon, to this day, you, you, you may as well be looking at pictures of Detroit. And look, I used to be fond of Detroit. I hauled steel when I was an over-the-road truck driver. I used to fondly, I used to like going to Detroit. It's a, it's a cool city. I grew up blue-collar. I grew up in the Pittsburgh area. I grew up around the steel mills, and that was my heritage. And the coal mines of southwestern Pennsylvania. But you don't have those things anymore. You got 7-Elevens now. 
and you got super Walmarts, and you got mass unemployment, and you have people that don't see future. They don't, and they don't have a future. Oh yeah, you know, you can go join the military and be sent off to some freaking meat grinder somewhere to go uh, to go act as some functionary for a criminal operation that is based in Washington D.C. And to do what? Who knows? Nobody knows. And God forbid you get sick or you get injured while you're serving in the military, or 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 that you get like really physically injured, so you can then what? Come home and go sit in a VA hospital and get you know, treated like a piece of garbage? You kidding me? I want to continue on with this article, though. I just have a few more minutes. I'm not going to get to the other one. Uh, I apologize. Because there's an important part of the article, and it's coming up right now. Civil rights leader, here he is, the Reverend Jesse Jackson, on Thursday, called on President Obama to convene a summit on urban violence and to come visit visit his adopted hometown. His adopted hometown? I thought that's where he was from. Anyway, adopted hometown to talk about the issue. Jackson noted that the president has repeatedly visited communities across the USA during his presidency after they have suffered mass shootings to mourn with the victims' families and talk about the larger issue of gun violence. Well, first of all there, Jesse, what's going on in Chicago is not a mass shooting event, if if that even exists. Okay, that's, these, are, these are different things there, you moron. Okay. And the issue of gun violence, I don't know why there's gun violence in Chicago. You're not supposed to have a gun. Case closed. Yeah, exactly, Frank. Or blow your brains out in the parking lot after being denied a treatment. It's despicable uh, what with, with, with goes on uh, there, Frank, and you're, you're correct. When 49 people were killed in Orlando, this is a quote. Now, um, this is a continued quote from the, uh, the so-called Reverend Jesse Jackson. When 49 people were killed in Orlando, it got attention from the president and vice president, said Jackson, who announced plans to convene a series of town hall meetings in Chicago's neighborhoods most affected by the violence. When, another quote, when Sandy Hook happened, there was a visit from the president. When it happened in Colorado, there was a visit. We can't get a visit. We need a plan to deal with the causes and cures of the violence, end quote. The White House didn't immediately respond to Jackson's criticism. Well, I guess you can't blame uh, the president for being a racist, can you? How how inconvenient. I mean, yeah, you're kind of licking around the edges. I mean, where is the guy? But you can bet your bottom dollar if this had been George Bush or, let's say, even Hillary Clinton. Let's just fast forward to after this upcoming election, if it's going to happen, and the dirtbag that is Hillary Clinton gets in or say Donald Trump gets in, you can bet it it would be racist, racist, racist. Now, they're not going to say that about Obama because that's not what they do, do, even though he's half of a black or half of a white guy. Anyway, and again, the White House didn't immediately respond to Jackson's criticism. I mean, why would they? Jesse Jackson has been irrelevant for at least the last 20 years. Where is he? He's out of the lane. Exactly. Where is I mean, why would, hey, if, if you were the president, would you want to go to Chicago? Even if it were your adopted hometown, are you, are you kidding me? I mean, why go to Chicago when you can be golfing in Palm Springs? Give me a break. White House Pre- Press Secretary Josh Ernest uh, did weigh in earlier this week on the surge of gun violence in Chicago, suggesting that the news media pays more attention to mass shootings than the daily scourge of shootings that impact urban centers like Chicago. Whatever. I'm not suggesting that the media shouldn't pay attention. 
to those issues, but what gets much uh, but what gets much less attention are the kind of day-to-day outbursts of gun violence that we see primarily in America's inner cities. In other words, nobody cares about black-on-black crime. You 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 porch monkeys go ahead and 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 just you know kill each other because that that's what you be doing. Oh wait a minute, did I just say an offensive? Did I just use a derogatory term for our greatest natural resource, which is our African-American community? Did I just say porch monkey? I apologize. I didn't mean to say that, but I was trying to prove a point that Josh Ernest is an idiot. Uh, the article goes on and on and on, and, and I don't have a lot of time. In addition to the rising homicide toll, the city has experienced 384 non-fatal shootings for the month of August. The city has recorded more than 2,300 non-fatal shootings for the year, an increase of more than 48%. Arrests for illegal possession of guns are up about 5% for the year compared to the same time last year. The police department has also seized nearly 6,000 weapons from the streets of Chicago this year during arrests and voluntary gun turn-ins, an increase of 22%. The city has seen 28 people under the age of 17 killed since the start of the year. All the victims were black or Latino, said Richard Boinkin, a Cook County commissioner whose district includes parts of the city's west side that have been the hardest hit by the blah, 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 blah. We have a state of emergency, Boinkin said. We have a crisis. Yeah, you do. And the crisis is you, you flippin' moron. You are the crisis. You have created it, you idiot. I'll, get, I'll continue on uh, tomorrow because I'm running, I've run out of time. Look, ladies and gentlemen, I say it every week. Wherever you are on God's, God's green earth, wherever it is you may be, you need to become all that you can be and become a domestic terrorist. Because obviously they fear terrorists. Because the only way we're going to take our country back, ladies and gentlemen, is by force. Because freedom comes from the sword. God bless you all. See you tomorrow evening. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? 
Don't forget to tune in to the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.